Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Big Week in Gaming podcast. And boy, it's been a big week in gaming. I'm Intergot for episode 26 on Sunday, the 10th of January 2021. As always, I'm joined by the number one challenger for the greatest Xbox RPG player in the world and official Xbox Hall of Famer, Sweeney. Hello, I am not in the Xbox Hall of Fame. And the meme maker, the interrupter in chief, the PS5 background yo, 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 the keeper yo, of yo, the unopened collector editions, Mike. <laughs> Beautiful people of the internet, hello! <laughs> in this week's show, we'll be discussing the Monster Hunter Rise demo and digital event, the Nier Automata crazy final secret that was discovered by an Aussie, uh, and to conclude our Donkey Kong Country series, uh, but we will continue it on with other games. Uh, our deep dive into Donkey Kong Country 3. Swinny, how was your week? My week was pretty nuts, um, games-wise. It's always about games, isn't it? That's oh. that's what we're talking about here on the Big Week in Gaming podcast. It's not Big Week in Life podcast, so... <laughs> yeah, that's our sister channel. Yes, that'd, that'd be interesting. But uh, outside of that, um, you know, we we did our... Uh, new Year gaming resolutions. Yeah, uh, we should week. do a check in. Yeah, how, how are you going? Um, I'm already two completions down out of my 31. <laughs> wow! So that was within I think three days. I completed two different games. So and I'll I'll mention them in a second. So uh, can I just interrupt on that point because <laughs> I spoke to I spoke to you yesterday about this, asking you if you wanted to play Code Vein, and you refused to play because it wasn't part of your your list of games to play this year. <laughs> Yes, so... And you're I, the one that told me to get the game because you wanted to play cards. <laughs> First of so all, you asked, you asked me, have you heard of Code Vein? You're the one that actually that asked was a, me that. Come on, that was a rhetorical question. Have you heard of Code Vein? Obviously <laughs> heard of Code... It's like, it's an RPG and it's souls like. Of course he's heard of it. Yes, so uh, the day <laughs> after we did our resolutions, or, um, I actually went through the entire Xbox RPG library, the ones I own, the ones I don't own, everything, and compiled my list, uh, my shortlist of the games that I could potentially play through. I need to play through 31 of them. And now I've got essentially a good 34 that I'm really comfortable about that I could complete. So I've uh, already done that work. I'm, I must admit, <laughs> I, I guess, I... Sorry, guess, guess what's missing on that list, Mike? Code Vein. Yes. You <laughs> son of a... You need a big I, I bought it. I bought it. And this is the thing, right? I bought it because I wanted to play co-op with him. I even bought the deluxe edition or whatever the hell the special edition is called, which sent me back all this extra money. And Wait, then you know what I say? That, that is in, com- in, in, in keeping with what I said at the start, that you were the is? keeper of the unopened collector editions. I am. I am. I love your special edition. And here's the best bit. It's now on Game Pass for free. Oh, that's so what thanks I hate for about that, Sony. You owe me fifty bucks or however but much I, you paid for. The it. thing is, that's that's not even. Uh, I own the game, so there's no time pressure there whatsoever. But and, um, and how are you going with your other resolutions? So, well, I'm I haven't got to them just yet. Um, I'm waiting for Assassin's Creed Valhalla to be patched. Apparently, mm. a patch is coming out soon, but I haven't. I read up, and I don't think it includes the fixes to the save system. So I'm going to wait till I it know. It doesn't include confirmed. that. I don't think so. I think if um, your save like, file is getting bashed, that is like yeah. almost the number yeah. one thing you have to fix. <laughs> like, yeah, really? I know. Huh. I know. But wait, does it affect everyone or just some people? And they probably did it quick. Eh, well, it's only enough, I mean, a it's, small handful. Wi- it's, it's significantly widespread enough that it would be an issue. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. But, the severity so, of it is pretty big. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. So getting getting back to what I've playing this week, so uh, obviously you played a lot of Donkey Kong Country Three, and we're talking mm. about that later. So yep. I'm not going to mention too much now. Play started uh, Galaxy Pen and Paper Plus One Edition. So this is a really really neat um, turn based battler from Behold Studios. So they made Knights of Pen and Paper uh, One, not Two, and they made Chroma Squad. Both games I really really like. They've got a great sense of humor in the games. Uh, honestly, while I'm not feeling Galaxy Pen and Paper that much yet, um, I definitely recommend Knights of Pen and Paper. Um, I think it was just a really, really great time. Now, what the first completion I did was uh, a game called Iconfell. Oh, yeah. So Iconfell came out of Game Pass um, a little bit ago and obviously released across uh, various other platforms. And, uh, I mean, it's an indie JRPG-style game from Happy Ray Games. Really, really cool story, uh, really cool characters. Definitely has a bit of an Undertale vibe where it makes you care about the villains and the characters. You mm. know, whether or not it's, you know... It, it's it's kind of very grey area RPG where it's like, well, their motivation has kind of driven them to do this possibly bad thing, but then you understand why they've done it. And really cool puzzles and everything. Um, but the reason uh, why I was able to complete it so quickly is because I just cheated the whole time. <laughs> Does that count? Wait, can, can I just have a go at you? Because as part of our Donkey Kong Country series, and we will cover it at the end of the show, I I didn't cheat. Well, I sort of cheated. I don't know, Mike, what do you think of this? Because you went around. Hmm. I used save states. And then if I died, I just rewound and just kept playing just to get through the game. No, I think that's fair enough if you're only doing it to review the game. And yeah, right. Check and it then, out and stuff. So yeah. when you went nuts about that, nuts. Oh, and then he, I didn't go. I didn't he's go professionally cheating. Nuts. He's professionally cheating right now. Yeah, yeah. All right, let me let me explain. And there's no like I cheated. I'm not going to say I can't. I can't excuse that. Right. And I'll explain no when when I say cheated. I'll explain what that is in a second. But just to put some context with the Donkey Kong games, I'm. I and I didn't say you had to do that. You had to not use rewind because you abused the hell out of me. You didn't die once. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? But whatever. Can, that... I, can, I, can I just say a quick story on that because it's topical? I went back. I'm like, well, okay. It took five hours to beat Donkey Kong Country Three. I'm like, how long did it take me to beat Donkey Kong Country One? And I went back and it was like one hour and forty minutes or something. I'm like, wow, that's pretty quick. <laughs> and then I remember <laughs> yeah. that I, I used rewind all the way through. <laughs> The thing, the thing is, I've for me, the whole point of us going through and replaying those games was to experience. Like for me, I wanted to experience it the way I experienced it when I originally played it. So that's why I didn't want to use any of that stuff. Um, but it's whatever. Like it's whatever floats your boat. The thing is, though, I'm in the meta game now with these RPG completions. I'm yep. all about efficiency wherever I can. Essentially, <laughs> like I, you, you got to understand, like. Me being able to complete two games within a couple of days is very rare for RPGs. Mm. So I'm like, okay, here's a couple of things that I can quickly knock out so I can get the number down so that then I can start to put time into the games that are going to take me like 50 plus to 100 Mm. hours, some of these games. But if I may quote, if I may quote a famous philosopher called Electronic Arts, do you, do you get satisfaction out of that? Do you, do you feel a sense of accomplishment when you no. finish all of this and then realize you're now, now the number one RPG player in the whole world. That will never happen. But, but yeah. you only got there. Well, could because the guy could have his account banned. Exactly. 
So I didn't feel a sense of accomplishment by cheating in Eichenfell. Um, I, but I will feel a sense of accomplishment when I reach 250 games. At the end Sweeney the could be the new dream. He could be the new <laughs> dream. This, this so, podcast yeah, could incriminate him. I think so I'll exactly. Explain. We'll do so, a documentary on him. <laughs> when I say cheat, when I say cheat, right? I didn't explain yeah, okay. it. It's, so how did you do it? Oh man! It's, <laughs> now he's hired a PhD <laughs> to explain. <laughs> yeah. This is no. This is super dodgy. So there's an in-game option, <laughs> Professor Queenie Postello. <laughs> okay, so I can fail is a turn-based battler, right? So you're going through battles, mm-hmm. having to play them. But instead, um, there's an option in the options menu that says uh, instant victory. And if you check that, <laughs> when you're in a battle, you just literally select I win. And then you win the battle. <laughs> what? what? How is this even fun? What are you What's doing? The... Well, I don't think, I don't think fun is always playing life? all these games, by the way. <laughs> what are you doing with your life? <laughs> and not only that, you can literally use that on the last boss, the end bosses. And what? It's great. It's great. <laughs> Why did they add um, that in? That's so weird. Accessibility, I, man. Yeah, accessibility. accessibility. Even Celeste has that. That falls under accessibility? It does, dude. Like, to even, instantly win? No, Celeste has like really crazy options to be able to... Mm. You know, basically get through the whole game. It's one of the most challenging games if you play it normally. Or you know, when like, I found that yeah, out, but I I'm feel like, like yes. that's a bit different though. I, I've seen it in Celeste, yeah, and I feel like it almost. There's a few games like that where the experience is almost better with that game sure. mode on because uh, it's just more fun. But right, with, can, with just click to win, like yeah, just, it's, that's way it's, over the top. All right, I got <laughs> a, I got two more games I just want to talk about. Yeah. So yes, that yeah, was yeah. that was funny. So I just. Part of it's also I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to cheat and then talk about it. Um, so the second <laughs> game I completed, I completed in under two hours. Okay, what was called that? Called Nexoria Dungeon Rogue Heroes. Now, um, this is a roguelike turn-based battler from a developer called Turnox. Came out in October. And I'll actually discuss this a little later because it's mm. very relevant to one of our stories. Oh, okay. I, I was wondering if it was going to be one of those games. Yeah. Is it because it so, features Donkey Kong in it? Yes, that's yes, correct. Yeah, okay. It's Donkey Kong Dungeon Rogue Heroes. Um, but the, the main game, the main game I actually just wanted to mention that I've been playing this week. So I said to you guys, I like to kind of give hints about what I've been playing for the week during yeah. the week. And I said, Yeah, hints hey, like this game is 43 gigabytes. Yeah. Thanks. That's <laughs> a very a good hint. <laughs> well, I didn't even give you any hint because I'm like, well, you guys didn't appreciate that last time. I just said, I'm playing a really cool game and I want to, I'm looking forward to talking well, about it. Well, that narrows it down. <laughs> yeah, that narrows it down so much. I, I'm not expecting you guys to guess. I just want to just like... <laughs> it's just, such a tease. I just want to ah. build some hype, you know? So what is so, the game? Yeah, what's the game? Has anyone ever heard of Bug Fables, The Everlasting Sapling? Oh, yeah, obviously. No. It's like... My top 10 games of all time. <laughs> no, I've never heard of it. Oh, that's no. very possible you could have, have heard of it. I have not heard of it. No, I haven't. I've heard of Bugsnax. Okay. So this is a game from a developer called Moonsprout. They're based in Panama. It came out in November 2019 for PC and in May uh, last year for all the okay. consoles. So it's funded on Indiegogo in 2018. And basically, this game, it's, it's Paper Mario. Oh, I actually have heard of this game. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. when that's why I wanted to put give you the title first to see if it it, it clicked, mm. and it was actually tentatively titled Paper Bugs. Like this oh. game is Paper Mario in almost every essence, except not featuring anything Mario related. 
And it's, Interesting. it's great. It's really, really good. I definitely, I've never played the first Paper Mario game, but I loved the Thousand Year uh, Door. Yeah. And this is, this just feels exactly like that. Um, like visually, it looks, it looks very similar. It's got that strong uh, line art, 2D feel. Even when you go in the buildings, it, they kind of disassemble like paper, like Paper Mario and things. It's really, really good. It's got great writing. It's really fun, just like the Paper Mario games and environmental puzzles that using. It's almost like Lost Vikings in the way where you have to com- combine the different environmental, uh, sorry, abilities of your party members. So yeah, Bug Fables. Um, I actually Fables. think it's really, really good for if you love Paper Mario, check out Bug Fables. It's, I mean, it's not an unknown game, but I don't think the title. It's very forgettable. It almost feels, it sounds like it's almost a mobile game. So it's mm. kind of it's a shame because this game deserves some uh, some recognition. So. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the way to do quote unquote fan game the right way. Like the amount of people that have created new Pokemon games and then they've been shut down and they've invested five, six, seven years into creating new characters and doing all this work. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It's like. It sounds like this game, they've pretty much made a, how, like, let's just make a new Paper Mario game, change the characters, and do everything as similar as possible. Because they love the series, I'm assuming. Like, why else would they, they do it? They outright said they, they wanted to make a game like Paper Mario. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the first cup, like, the first two Paper Mario games, they specifically said that the series, you know, they felt it lost its way. Just like, you know, a lot of people kind of have that feeling, although, you know, there's differing opinions on that, but... They yeah, like the like original. Alice my way. <laughs> they they definitely feel like the Paper Mario. Like they love those first two Paper Mario games, so they want to make yeah. a game like it. That makes yeah. sense. Makes sense. So where 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 legally where do you draw the line on what you can do? Because obviously you can't use the characters and all of that no, material. But a I game mean, you mechanics can't, you can't copyrightable. Copy... No, you no. can't copyright mechanics. Oh, yeah. Cool. You copyright. Yeah, well, like I don't know. Like what about I don't Tetris? Know if it's I don't know if it's technically copyright, but obviously anything code related, she can't. <laughs> but um, yeah, but I mean, like, what about something like Tetris? You can make Tetris. Yeah, there's can heaps you? of clones. People there's have done that. Clones too. out there yeah. legally, yeah. though. Yeah, of course you can. And what? just not call it Tetris. What do you just call you... it? Four blocks, five blocks. I'm because like, one, what, two, what three, are you? Four blocks. What are you presuming you have a legal protection for? Well, I don't know. That's what I'm asking. I don't I'm know. You, you can't. I'm curious. You can't. The mechanic. The... the mechanic. I mean, okay, to be honest, cool. if you could imagine how small the gaming industry would be, <laughs> we'd be on. Well, to, like, I wouldn't Doom be surprised. I mean, you can you can copyright and and protect so much stuff, including you know DNA sequencing. So sure, I'm just but wondering where that the lines the run. That you think of that as the equivalent of the code of the game, then it makes sense. No, but I mean, like you could decode. You could you could create your own, I guess, DNA sequence. And if it's already copyrighted, even if you created it. Wouldn't that still be illegal? I don't know. Sh- this is a whole huge sure topic. There's... Probably no point getting into it. Well, I'm sure there's precedents out there. I'm sure there's precedents out there where developers or publishers have tried to to do this before, as in tried to you know get stuff cease and desisted mm. and stuff. But yeah, you can't you can't copyright game mechanics in general. Oh, well, that's they... good. By the way, I think that's awesome because I think it it opens it up for you to do way more things like this, for example. They definitely have tried, mm. but. It's the same, Mike, as like stories, right? You can write a story about something. You can't copyright the story structure and how the story, like the story beats, the twist, 
all that kind of stuff. I can go. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying, say, say there's you have a story about, uh, for the sake of the argument, not. I'm just making this completely up. Uh, there's a chick, and she falls in love with this vampire, but then she also falls in love with this werewolf, and then the werewolf doesn't like the vampire, yeah. so they fight it out. And there's like five or six books that your girlfriend reads about it and you really hate it and you leave her because of it. <laughs> so like if you, if the structure's the same, but the names are different, yeah, how, do, how does that work? That's fine. There's, okay. You know that that's legally fine. But you, nice. as soon as you go and take a character, that's that's IP, right? That's intellectual property of the person who created okay. it. So, right. So was that all your resolutions, Swinney? It's well, they're the ones. Okay. I mean, I've played a lot already, so mm. <laughs> I don't know what else I could have fit in this week. Yeah, because it was funny. I wanted to do Code a check in. I wanted to do a check in on the resolutions as well, but I think we'll we'll space it out over time. So I'll check in now, maybe a month from now, three months, six months, type of thing, and then at the end of the year. So for me, I've been doing Ring Fit every day. I actually like so as I said, I'm just it, the key thing is just doing it, not like spending hours of time doing it. But even then. You know, I'm up to about day 40 inside of Ring Fit because I've done it before. Um, it's such a cool game. Like, I feel like it doesn't actually get an, enough credit because it, it does, like, it get, it gets your sweat on. Like, Wii Fit doesn't. Uh, Ring Fit certainly does. Uh, so I'll stick to that. And nice. in terms of the Dirty Dozen, started playing Okami HD because it was on sale on the Switch. Nice, nice. I actually went through every single game. I own most of them. But I realized I don't actually have many on the Switch, which is kind of a bit annoying. So I, I might... most of them, most of them wouldn't be on the Switch, though. Yeah, why like is that? Earthbound. Why, why is it annoying? You reckon? I kind of forgot about that. I, I honestly may have changed my choice of Earthbound if I didn't realize it wasn't on the Switch. I couldn't believe Earthbound wasn't on the Switch. So, it, like, just going through my list quickly, I think Earthbound should be on the Switch. Chrono Trigger should be on the Switch, and Metroid Prime. Should be on the Switch, and none of those three are. Um, mm. So I actually am thinking I'll I'll delay those just in case we get a Prime trilogy come out, or if they add Earthbound, or it's a good idea. Probably Chrono Trigger. Yeah, I probably don't see that coming out this year. Um, Earthbound is very likely to get added to the SNES. That, that's the most mm. likely, hundred percent. That's yeah. the most likely. Uh, and then Metro Prime, who knows? Hopefully, as part of the 35th anniversary, they do something, but I doubt that they will. Why do they have to? These all have to be on the Switch, though. I, I just like having a blend because then sometimes I'll be playing the Switch and sometimes I'll be playing on the PC. So I like to have okay. some of the games on there, but almost all of them are on the PC. Oh, yeah, fair um, enough. So it's nice to have a mix. And then the last is I started working on the Game Maker game. So my AFL nice. game. Saw um, that. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So I got the whole field set up, started doing my own little character pixel artwork. Uh, and then really I'm just trying to... I'm trying to keep it as bare minimum as possible because, you know, the amount of like podcasts I've listened to with game devs, indie devs, they all say everything takes so much longer than you think. So, you know, whatever idea I have in my mind, I just want to cut it in like three and just do the first part of it. And that's mm. try to stick to only that. Uh, so I will go forward with the AFL idea. I'll do like an AFL arcade game uh, and then trying to mix in some like items Actually, when I think about it, it's a little bit like Smash in that way, because I, I guess you could have the items on or off, but I doubt I'll even put that in. I think um, it's probably a better comparison, I'm guessing, something like NBA Jam Tournament Edition, you know? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, you know, big bits of like NBA Jam, Mario Kart, Worms kind of thing. 
put, put all those things together, sort of. <laughs> worms. Mm, nice. An AFL worms. <laughs> well, you know what I mean, in the sense of, like, there's weapons and stuff that you can pick up and use. And um, the players kamikaze other players. So, I, you know, I've, I've already started thinking about this, because I'm, I'm legit. I've got to publish it this year. PC is the minimum, so that, that to me will be, like, a tick for the resolution if I get it on PC. Which, you know, there's no real barrier because, you know, PC is so open as an architecture. But I would you like probably, to get it... You could probably publish what you've done now on Steam and would get approved. <laughs> as long as you have the money to pay for the... <laughs> You're probably right, to be honest. Um, yeah, I put it in early access. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but I, I am keen, you know, depending on how it shapes up, obviously. But I'm keen to put it on to, like, Switch. And then, I don't know, maybe, like, Xbox and PS. Because I think it would be a fun process. And if... It, you know what? The funny thing is I wouldn't be able to talk about it on the podcast because it would be good banter, but there's all like NDAs and, and stuff like that for the, for those, uh, obviously developer relationships, but yeah, so that's progressing well. Um, and it's lots of fun nice. actually coding again, like just getting my head around all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I like, I learned to code professional or like at uni and then I never really got paid to code, did lots of other things in my career. It's kind of weird. When you had your business, you technically sort of got paid to code. I didn't really code that much, though. Oh, okay. So, yeah. A little bit, a little bit, but not too much. Your but partner anyway. was the gimp that did the coding. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. It was just sort of, you know, whatever. You know, because running a business, there's so much things you need to do. And yeah. then we had like seven employees at one stage. So it's like, Jeez. you know, like managing people is is a job in itself, right? Especially when he, you're that small, so he would have had time to do that with all the coffees he had to go have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got my coffee all the right stakeholder here. <laughs> engagement meetings he had. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And how about you, Mike? How are you progressing on your New Year's resolutions? Well, now that it turns out you can just copy a game and <laughs> get away with it, I yeah. figured I'm going to make a GAFL game. A GAFL. Oh, don't say that. That's and, not a funny joke. It's going to be, it's going to basically be like, kind of like your game, but with different assets <laughs> and the power-ups will be called different, but they'll still be kind of the same. That's fine. So, so slowly while you're, you know, sending me the preview of this, in yeah. fact, it'd be easier if you just send me the bloody code so I can alter <laughs> it and I don't have to do it from scratch. So, so my New Year's resolution is probably going to go pretty well now, I think. <laughs> uh, so New Year's resolution has changed to... Uh, copy, copy. copy. Game. No, no, copy I'm not copying. Game. I don't want. No, I don't want to get into any legal waters. I'm not copying. I'm. I'm just making my own AFL game. It's a, It's, it's, it's an int, homage. It's an int like in inspired game. It's an inspired game. Yeah. What, what was the name of that game? That Paper Mario copy game. Bug Fables. Oh, I'm gonna call it AFL Fables. AFL Fables. <laughs> yeah. That's Paper AFL. A cool title. <laughs> you, you guys are gonna help me with the title because I can't use AFL. AF. AF. AF Fables. I, I, I'm actually like there. very dubious, even if I was able to use Aussie rules, because that's actually copyrighted ooh. by the AFL. But yeah, it probably is. I think like Australian football is like <sighs> the only term that they can't protect. Yeah, maybe. So it might be like Aussie foot, Aussie ball, Aussie footy, Aussie footy Aussie something, footy. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie footy ball, Aussie ball, Aussie, Aussie ball, Aussie, Aussie footy frenzy, ballsy. I don't know. You guys are gonna help me with the name. It's gonna. Yeah, yeah. We'll 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 we'll, we'll brainstorm this. Mm. So what was I doing? So what so were this other week, it was so make a game. My two resolutions. So one was make oh, a game, which I've made zero games. progress on. You yeah, bought so, games, I, yeah. haven't you? 
What? Mm, yes. <laughs> just so, so hang on. Wait, 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 when I had my Switch. <laughs> what? Have you got a swimming and, pool? Well, I... Yeah. Metaphorically. It's not, it's not a, metaphorically. It, no, no, no. It's a, it's a swimming pool. You can't swim in it because it's so small, but it's more like... <laughs> have you seen Have you seen that episode of The Simpsons where Homer... Those people are trying to buy the house next door to Homer, and then they hear this noise, and they look out the window, and Homer's in his little tiny, like, kid pool. Oh, okay. And he reaches it, and there's, there's, a, there's a, like, a full-on wet hot dog... And he goes and eats it. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like that. It's a little bigger than that, but not by much. <laughs> okay. So I've got a visual I did not want to see. Yeah, I'm saying, but yeah, oh, I'll on. send you a photo. I'll send you a photo so you don't have to imagine it. And <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. And <laughs> the only game I think I bought this week was... You think the... you bought <laughs> Well, I don't know, because maybe... I'm trying to remember uh, Maybe I case. bought that game. I bought something else. No, I didn't. I don't think I bought anything else was uh, the last Deponia game. So when, when all of them went on special, for some reason, one of them, which I think was the third one, second or third in the series, I forget, didn't go on special. It was still basically full price. So I saw that on special and I went, shit, I've got all the other ones. Ooh, I said I wasn't going to do this, but it's $3. Isn't this the opposite of what I you I will play them. No, it was, but I had, to, I had to make some exceptions because I know for a fact <laughs> I'm going to play these games because I started playing mm. the first one and I really enjoyed it. And I figured for 3 bucks, especially if it's a second in the series, mm. which it might be, it's going to be annoying to then go, oh, shit, I got to put this down until it goes on special again because I don't want pay 30 bucks for it so you got you got me so, to play the first deponia which was really really good but if there's ever a, oh yeah if there was ever a game that made me feel stupid it was deponia really it wasn't yeah. that uh i'm i'm is that because the puzzles I'm, weren't no Why? i love point and click adventure games but they i'm i'm definitely an idiot in them like some there's a lot of stuff <laughs> that just honestly they also include a lot of very obtuse solutions yeah i'm um, terrible at those games yeah they drive me nuts those games but i but i have a lot of fun playing them so. sometimes the puzzles just don't click with you i think is all uh so oh by the way that was actually one of my short list of two games i may be able to work on one is a mm. point and click adventure game oh that'd be cool because that'd i have cool. limited artistic skill where i could probably do something do that and no i think you have a lot one, of i'm just gonna pause you uh, i think you're like no. So Mike, Mike is to me like a Renaissance man that doesn't execute against all the Renaissance things that he's able to do. <laughs> <laughs> and you are an amazing I, artist. It's like insane. Different things. Insane. I don't think I'm that good. Thank you, but no. no you are really good. No, don't, You're really good. I know the ladies are not going to swarm at my door, but no. It's the not measure, true. the measure that I always have uh, with things, it's like when you show a random person or like someone who doesn't really know who the person is. Hey, look at this thing. And people are like, whoa, that's insane. That's so cool. That's like, that's the measure to me. Uh, And I've shown your stuff to people before and they're like, whoa, what the hell is this? So no, you're good. Why, thanks. Uh, So either that or some sort of a card game, because I feel they're Mm. they're doable. I think the card game makes sense for you because you've got the brain to be able to build the mechanics for it and then the art as well. Maybe, but you know, I've been thinking about the brain thing and I don't know, I feel like... I feel like recently I've just become a lot 
sorry, dumber. Been thinking about the brain thing, just just I have. Such an awesome way. I just feel like I've become dumber and less less. I don't like my brain's just been less active. I don't know if it's to do with mm. with work and not being engaged enough. I don't know what it is. If if, oh, you, if you do a point yeah. and click, you can do it in uh, Game Boy Studio. There's so you, a there's a point. There's you could a point actually build a Game Boy game. A, that's a point and click. They already game. have one. Uh, they have yeah, the I don't know if I'll do a it. Game Boy game though. But, but there just, is an cool actual marketing angle. It's a cool marketing point. Angle. It would be cool, but there's an actual point and click. Like the Deponent games, I think are made in this engine that you can. There's an actual point and click game engine that you can get. Oh, okay. And I think the Deponent games from memory were made in that because that's where I remember reading about. You it. should do that. That's a, that's a really good idea. I think that actually makes a lot of sense for you because you can tell a story that's funny, and then do the art yeah, I suppose. and everything. Yeah. So I'll see how that goes. Uh, oh, by the way, quick quick interjection. I know it's not really gaming related, but I watched a really cool documentary last night called uh, My Octopus Teacher. <laughs> it's okay, about this guy. Wait, wait, wait. It's, First of I, all, I, you interject yeah. yourself. Yeah, no, yeah. Exactly. And then you bring well, that. Well, yeah, because it's, it's completely kind of not related, but I just, I was thinking about it for some reason. Maybe because I started thinking about tentacle porn and then it kind of made me all think right, about it. All right, all right. <laughs> this is getting away Think about it. The right. octopus. Anyway, it's really cool. Right. Highly, highly recommend it to everyone. It's a very, very touching story <laughs> Let, about a man in, and an octopus. Our, let's get into our first so, news article. Okay, let's do it. All right. So the Monster Hunter Rise digital event occurred this week. So Capcom held it with many new details and what we already knew, but there was a demo that was uh, launched on that day. So they showed off lots of new monsters I think, yes, uh, as, as Swinney has put in the notes, that creepy cave monster, the Keizu, that was very horrifying. Oh, so awesome looking. It's <laughs> it, horrific. It, it is horrific. You need to watch the video to see it. Uh, and they did also show off some new features that we didn't know about beforehand, uh, such as Wyvern riding. So the demo is a limited release. It's available now. It did crash the eShop. Uh, when they launched it. So it just sort of shows wow. the hype around Monster Hunter. Uh, and the demo, there's some restrictions. Shouldn't really bump up against any of them, but you can play the demo until the 1st of Feb. It's both uh, solo, local multiplayer, and online multiplayer, where Swinney will refuse to play online multiplayer with me because he's doing his RPG thing and he waits until the game actually comes out. Uh, and then, yeah, so the demo is going to terminate at the 1st of Feb. And then also there's some weird restrictions around. You can only do some of the quests 30 times max, but there's lots mm, of ways to get that around that. I doubt that you would really run against that. Uh, and the game is releasing the 26th of March. Swinny, you played through this? Yeah, so I didn't do the... There's, a, I guess, a beginner quest and an intermediate quest and some uh, tutorial stuff. So yeah. I did the tutorial one thing. Oh, it's going to cover a lot of what I already know. It, it Honestly, this demo is not designed for someone new to the series because these tutorials are completely focused on the new abilities and the new additions, which is the wire bug, um, the riding, the palamute and the, like the endemic life that gives you stat boots, uh, boosts and things like that. It's, I, I could just imagine, uh, Indigot, like you being like, what the hell? Because the, the HUD of monster hunter is like, there's so much going on and you have to do multiple you have to like hold the item button and then press the was it X and no Y and and A button to like scroll between the items like that stuff that you used to as a, if you've played Monster Hunter but for someone new they don't explain any of that stuff. Yeah, so like I have never played Monster Hunter. I was thinking about 
going back to play either Generations or Monster Hunter World, but then kind of thought that was a bad idea just maybe because playing World and then this, I'd feel like it's inferior or whatever. So I wasn't very familiar with how Monster Hunter played. And I played, I'm like, I went straight to the tutorial. I'm like, okay, cool. It's going to like guide me through how to play this game. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is this tutorial? It's the worst tutorial I've ever seen. You're 100% right. It's for people who are already into Monster Hunter and, you know, like played Monster Hunter World or previous games on handhelds. And then it's like, okay, I got my head around what the new things are. But that's, I don't know. It's kind of weird because I feel like I, I'm hearing and, you know, it's my case, so it's anecdotal, but it feels like a lot of people are like, hey, maybe I'll give this a crack. It's the first Monster Hunter game I think the Switch has lacked like a really big heavy hitter AAA game that looks good for a while now. I think Luigi's Mansion looks fantastic, but it's not that style of game. Um, so I think there are a lot of people who are keen to get this. And I think it was a bit of a missed opportunity the way they built that demo, like the tutorials. But I had to Google so much, Swinney. <laughs> I was like... Get a match. Oh, dude, I wasn't even going to buy the game. Like uh, 20 minutes into the demo... Because I, I was starting to do the quests and stuff. I was like, I'm not going to get this game. This game's annoying the hell out of me. Like, all I wanted to do is lock on to a monster <laughs> when I'm fighting it. And I'm running around and I can't lock onto it. And, you know, I'm very old school. I remember playing uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And that was the first game that had like a lock-on system. Uh, By the way, so you're, not, you're not really... Locking on's not really the main thing you do. Because with Monster Hunter you're often targeting specific body parts and they sure. don't allow you to target specific body parts with any lock-on feature. So it's very... No, they do. You have they to do really now. Just... They do. Oh, okay. There's games you could do sure. that in, yeah. Yeah, like, so... I, I, I don't was... know. The Surge, maybe? No, Remember Mike, that one, Mike, Swinney? Mike, I'm talking about Monster Hunter. Yeah, Monster oh, Hunter. Right, okay, fair enough. Yeah, but they could, imp- they could have implemented something like the Surge, which no, is nice but what I'm that. saying that is really it's, well. this isn't... This is the action, the controls of Monster Hunter is very... It's very unique. Yes. Yeah, that's fair enough. So like, um, the thing I didn't realize. It doesn't play like a traditional action, character action game or something. Mm. Yeah, because normally like a yeah. lock-on is like just a button press, like an L or a ZL or whatever. In mm. this game, it's right stick, the camera stick, like R3 essentially, like pressing the, R, yeah. the right stick. And then it cycles through the camera views. So it's like one of them could be the monster that you're fighting then it will kind of lock into that as a target. And then I'll start to like, then it's just target mode. Once I figured all of that out, I was like, oh man, this is like, I love the game from that point. Oh, wow. But I found it so impenetrable to like, how am I supposed to figure that out? Like, well, welcome to Monster Hunter, man. Like this is, <laughs> now you've got to imagine that. Well, like it's like Dark games... Souls. <laughs> well, Dark Souls has got nothing on, on how complex the system is. Because, yeah, exactly. So, so I guess to give you a bit of um, my thoughts on when I when I jumped into that tutorial mission, especially, and then I played the beginner mission, um, was that man they I know they've only got that one location. Um, this game, this game just plays so well, and it, mm. it's all it's so close to world in a lot of ways. The the environment, or at least that one. Definitely not as complex, but because the traversal, like the movement in this game is insane. Like it kind of boggles my mind, the stuff you can do with the wire bug and the wall mm. running. It's way, it's it's just crazy. This, people, I could see clips of people just being absolutely insane, especially when you combine the wire bug with the insect glaive. Um, so the insect glaive, 
allows you to do super crazy aerial combos. Like this game could be crazy, and it's it's very different because I'm a sword and shield user in Monster Hunter World, which is super basic. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to use that. And I had to really adjust to having to use the wire bug to dodge around um, because that's very different to how I played World. And World's the only Monster Hunter game I ever played, um, with the exception of just trying out, uh, uh, I forget, one on the 3DS that I had. But it's but just like the Palamute, the Palamute, when you jump on that and then you drift around on the Palamute yeah. and you jump around, it just feels so cool. The Thun, like, what they've done with this game is just almost incredible. It's, yeah. It just feels so good. I, I am so hyped for this game now. Like, so, you know, once I got past the whole, you know, basics of the camera, because I do think in gaming, you need to feel like at least the rudimentary part of how to move the character in a way that, you know, you can achieve things. Like, I feel like I couldn't even really fight properly without being able to, like, you know, lock into a to the monster that I'm fighting. Um, but once I got my head around that, because I, I don't know much about this game, to be honest, and <laughs> just going through the world and, you know, climbing up, like almost like Breath of the Wild style for me, climbing up the mountain with the wire bug and just like discovering, you know, new elements and items. I was like, wow, this is game. I'm going to be addicted to this game. And what's wild is that each location. So the, the Monster Hunter world's, uh, the Monster Hunter games, they generally don't have that many locations. Like, World probably had about maybe five or six off the top of my head, but with not including Iceborne content. But they layer so much stuff in, and it changes. So depending on the the, the hunt that you go on, or the mission, it might have uh, slightly different uh, small monsters hanging around in certain areas. And uh, I, I was really happy to see that they they still have turf wars in this as well, you know, where the monsters fight each other because mm. I was almost, and I didn't know that much about, um, I hadn't watched all the pre-release footage that's shown up to this point, but I didn't even know myself if the, they still had the zones where you essentially load into each zone, but I'm so glad that it's not. I'm so glad it's like world where it's one cohesive. Ah, oh, so the whole thing's area. open world now. No, so the way it works <laughs> is, so in the, the older Monster Hunter games, you mm-hmm. had like the one we played. No, before that. Oh, before that. Okay. Yeah. So you, <laughs> had, you had you had like the locale, and then you have numbered zones like one to ten, let's say, mm. and each there's a loading screen in between each one. So with World, they introduced it where it's all seamless, where there's no loading. Um, the, the areas are still kind of numbered for reference, which is really helpful. And the, the, thankfully, that's the same with Monster Hunter Rise because I just, for someone, like, for people going from world to this, it makes it much, much easier to, you know, to just adapt. It's really, really good. Oh, so the way it would have worked. Yeah, I get you because I, I've seen the map. So you're saying if it said region one, it would just be that piece and nothing else. Correct. And then you move between the loading screens and the monsters would move between the locations as well. So they would move in and then you'd go load to the next area and you'd, see the monster or i don't know if there's possible if it could then have warped to like a further locale but yeah so it was split up but a lot of that was um it was kind of the traditional model of the monster hunter games and also mm. when they started and kept everything as um like it moved to a very handheld focus series and made sense from a technical standpoint um but it's really good that they decided no look Hopefully, hopefully we're past that point now, and the switch, you know, which is essentially the big, the handheld of the day, um, is 
you know, it, it feels right at home. Um, so yeah, really, mm. really happy. Um, I will. The reason I didn't want to play it yet was because um, I, the whole loop of that game is defeating the monsters to get the uh, materials to then craft new equipment and stuff. And so there's doesn't doesn't feel like any incentive to really play it other than just honestly just get some initial impressions because there's no loot there to incentivize and no building your stuff. Yeah. There's no hub to go to yet. So that's why I don't want to get into that until the game comes down. Yeah, no, I was just being a bit cheeky because I have deleted the <laughs> demo already on my Switch. Already? Why? Well, I played through it. I think I got my head around the basics on how to move. And I think, yeah, the mechanics, as you are saying, Swinney, the wire bug, like I didn't, I went back to watch YouTube. Yeah, you can hang if you press A. As you're going in the air, like there's so many things you could do mechanically. It's wild. It's it, absolutely wild. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. Like it's it it is going to be a little bit like Breath of the Wild, where people do these really crazy mechanics videos. Um, but I, I had the same sentiment as you. I was like, oh, well, I was kind of already get to get this game. It almost put me off the game, the demo. Just how I was like, <laughs> can you not lock on? Like it's really pissing me off, actually. Um, and then you know, getting my head around that and then playing it. And just going around randomly and seeing the monsters, it it was so sick. Like, I really loved it. And I was like, you know what? I just got to stop playing it because I actually found myself wanting to jump back into the demo and play through (laughs) the quest again. I'm like, you know, all that energy, I just want to save it for when the actual game comes out. And for me, the biggest thing would just be, do I get it digitally or physical? Because I normally get things physically, but it does seem like one of those kind of games that you would want to jump in and out of all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Have yeah, you decided, Tony, what you're doing? Doesn't sound like something you'd get. Um, I'll probably get it digitally. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I just want to say I'm so happy that considering I put probably, which is not a lot of amount of time compared to a lot of people, but I put over 100 hours into Monster Hunter World and it was felt great that it felt like a smooth transition as opposed to, oh... It, I'm losing a lot of what I loved about World. No, it felt like this is World, but different and almost cooler. Like it's, yeah, it, I was really impressed with it. Well, because I have World on PS4 and I was actually tempted to boot that up. Because I was like, you should. You reckon it wouldn't ruin it? So, because no, I don't know. I think anything. you'd be, no, I think you'd be fine. I think okay, you'd be fine. If anything, it would probably help you get used to some of the basics um, before the first one comes out. Oh, sorry, yeah. Rise comes out. Yeah. Uh, Not look- a lot of basics, by the way. It goes from like two, three basics to <laughs> everything advanced and it the rest is- expert mode. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. But um, at least at least you get more than what you did in this demo. Yeah, no, like I'm, I'm super looking forward to this. It looks really, really sick. Um, yeah, no, it's just, it. it's definitely my... Because out of the games that we've spoke about, it, it essentially is the number one game for me that's coming out this year. Because wow. some of the other games we don't know are actually coming out this year, like Elden Ring. And is that going to be exclusive now to next gen? And then also like uh, Breath of the Wild 2. Is that coming out this year? Maybe you won't. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll probably get it physically, even though I'll get cranky all the time like I do with Smash Brothers, having to put <laughs> the cart in all the time. But th- there's one other thing that I wanted to touch on really quickly just around Monster Hunter is the question that I have still is the Monster Hunter Rise Amiibo, like in Australia, what the hell is going on with it? So this is a very me thing, but uh, Vooks, so they're a big uh, Nintendo Australian website, 
they actually confirmed with Nintendo Australia that it will come out in Australia, these Monster, Hunt, Monster, Hunt, Monster Hunter Rise Amiibo. So there's three Amiibo that are coming out. Um, but we still don't know any details. And it's, it's starting to really annoy me. And then it's starting to actually remind me of what happened with the Golden Shovel Knight Amiibo when they launched, where they were coming out in the States. So GameStop already has... Monster Hunter Rise Amiibo for sale in America. So you can pre-order them. And normally you can do that here in Australia with Amiibo. But I do find with a third-party Amiibo, it's a bit messed up in Australia. Maybe they don't have the same relationships. And then often it will just randomly drop and get sold out within a few hours because they've made X amount for Australia and it's like, eh, whatever. So, yeah, I just wanted to sort of whinge about this. I want, I want to waste my money, Capcom. Help this me out, int- Capcom. This is the Intergot whinging has... segment. Yes. He's got a massive first world problem that needs to be sorted. <laughs> Pronto. Well, I've, I've not committed, but I, I have gotten every single amiibo from a certain point in time. So, it's mm. just like, it's annoying. Like, I don't want to import it and then it gets released in Australia the week after. So, so just can I, can I ask what... Do these amiibo actually do anything in Monster Hunter Rise? I, I, it's not about that. It's not about that. <laughs> no, not, but he I, doesn't no, even open them, dude. He just has them. No, on that's his a legitimate shelf. No, I that's a something. legitimate qu- question. Does do these amiibo actually do anything in Monster Hunter Rise? Do you know if they do or not? Yeah, I do. Um, so I think generally, just to say, generally with amiibo, they've become very much like the DLC that you'd get with the special collector's edition that Mike would have, right? Where They'll never, they'll never gate off truly important or useful things in the game. It's like cool cosmetics or like funny cosmetics or something like that, or like some little things that will help you at the start, but won't really skew the game. And I just say that because in Metroid Samus Returns, so the Metroid 2 remake that they released on the 3DS a few years ago, they did gate off some functionality in the Amiibo. Mm. And I think the backlash that they got from that, because, I mean, Metroid isn't a big game. I'd love if it was a big game. But the reality is it doesn't sell a lot. And the amount of pushback that they got from people about that, like, I've just noticed that since then, no Amiibo has been re- released okay. that has done, so, or had, like, <laughs> things that were, like, gated because of that. What does so, it do? Yes, okay, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to educate you, Sweeney. Uh, so, I know that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it gives you skins. It gives you skins. Thank you, thank you. In the in the style of the flagship uh, monster Magnolamalo. Okay, cool. So yeah, right, the thing, so can... the re- the reason I thought it might be that I didn't know though. So it wasn't me just getting you to repeat information that I actually already knew. Yeah, but it's interesting because. Monster Hunter, at least with World, and I'm assuming the past ones, but. Um, they go crazy with the microtransactions. Oh yeah. So there are yeah. so many, um, but they're all they're all cosmetic, right? They're purely cosmetic skins and and things like that. Like you know, they had a, a Ryu like thing where you could do an emote and it was like fireball and stuff like. That. So they go crazy with that, and a lot of it's cool. A lot of it's very surface level. Um, but the fact that it's basically just that, plus they also will have their other microtransactions, no doubt. So it's just interesting to know that they've kind of, you know, just done that with Amiibo. But the reason I want to know is, was there actually anything cool should I actually look out for these Amiibo if it's something cool for the game? So. I, I mean, so there's the three. So there's the Palamute. The, what, what's the cat? The Palamico? Is that right? Palico. Palico. Yeah, that's right. 
uh, and then the uh, Magnamalo. They're the three. Well, I don't know Palomico. Like the cats are Palicos. I don't know Palomico. No, Pal- Palico. That's what I was meant to say. I was mixing okay. it up with a Magnamalo. Okay. Yeah. So they, I actually like even playing the demo. The amount of personality in the characters that they imbue is just awesome. So. I'm actually, I super want the Amiibo. So, like, I fully admit that I buy Amiibo. It doesn't matter if it's, it could be the worst Amiibo ever. I'll still buy it. If, so if at this stage Nintendo see, releases it, I'll get it. <laughs> now do you see why the fact that I named my Palico and Monster World after one of our friends, I thought it was really cool. Because <laughs> you're running around with him all the time. It's like, oh, hey, they, there's friend's name <laughs> running around Ooh. with me attacking monsters. Like, it's cool. It was just cool. But That's like, weird. That's Is it Francis? Weird. <laughs> I wasn't it, gonna say any names. It's super weird because <laughs> it's also, Francis, isn't it? It's super weird because you can like pat them and do all that kind of stuff and give them a <clears> snack. <throat> so it's, it's a little bit condescending, Swinny. But wow, but yeah, Swinny has a weird fetish. Anyway, let, let's like let's move on from this amiibo story. You know, I'll update if if there is an update, but I do think that they'll randomly drop it. So I should say to people that you should follow us on uh, Big Wig Pod on Twitter. Cause as soon as they release it somewhere, I'll post it there. So, you know, I'm often the only person in Australia that cares about this Amiibo stuff. So you actually find, find it here first often, which is sad. All right, let's go into our next story. So Nintendo has uh, bought out the Canadian studio next level games. Uh, you would know them from Luigi's mansion, which came out now two years ago. Mm. Uh, and then historically super Mario strikers, they've made a whole bunch of other titles Punch Out on Wii. Uh, you put Metro Prime Federation Force. I feel like that's just trying to trigger me. No, but it's a significant <laughs> game they made for Nintendo, so yeah, maybe not Signif- in a good way. Significant. <laughs> well, the thing is, significant in a, in different ways. You true, know. true, true. Uh, yeah, and and it marks an interesting stage in video games in general. Like you have seen a lot of consolidation recently with the bigger publishers, and now with the platform holders actually acquiring studios. I guess the question is, do you guys think that Nintendo will go down that path of trying to acquire more studios or is this something specific to them? Well, they've been very selective in the past. Like they haven't made many acquisitions. Yeah. As Like you think Nintendo, they've been around such a long time and in the video game space for so long. You- they haven't acquired that many studios. Um, what's interesting is a lot of studios they work with that kind of still remain second party. So I don't know much, but isn't a, is Intelligent Systems? They're not completely owned by them, are they? Uh, no, and well, like I'm almost certain about that. Uh, I'm just not. looking it up now, and which then also... is weird to me because, like, if you're gonna if Nintendo would have purchased anything, like Intelligent Systems would have been to me the like first company that they would have bought but oh well i think the number one would have been the pokemon company well yeah but i mean there's that's i didn't want to get into that because there's a lot going on there but yeah Yeah. intelligent systems is was yeah i don't think it's yeah they're independent from nintendo but they essentially make some of nintendo's best games it's crazy yeah and it's it's a funny thing it's same as next level games they have probably spent like very much the last 10 years but even the last 20 years or 15 years sorry uh, building a lot of Nintendo games. They do build other games and they have done other games for other platforms, but yeah, they've got a unique relationship with Nintendo. And I, I certainly think, because I don't think you've played Luigi's Mansion 3, either of you. No. 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 That game, I wanted to, but I haven't yet. Yeah, I played a little bit of it because I got it for Christmas. 
That game <clears throat> looks insane. Like, actually, right now, today, I would say it's the best-looking game on the Switch. Hmm. And you look at videos of it, and it's like, eh, yeah, it looks great. But when you play it, it just looks amazing. Like, what they've done with essentially like an Android tablet is what the Switch is. It's freaking crazy. So, and just the reverence, and it, it, it feels like a Nintendo game. You know, I've said this previously with other games that have come out, even quote-unquote from Nintendo, or like published by Nintendo, like Hyrule Warriors, where it doesn't feel like a Nintendo game. Next Level games, they already feel like Nintendo games to me. Like Super Mario Strikers, I didn't realize that wasn't Nintendo. Hmm. So, yeah, and I would love if they went back to the... Like, I love sports arcade games, obviously. I'm trying to make one. So Super Mario Strikers, like having a third game in that series would be really awesome. And I feel like it would make a lot of sense for the Switch personally. So Man, I'm just looking at the list of games the intelligence systems have worked on. Like some of the, a lot of this is collaborative with like R and D and EAD and the internal studios, but man, like just everything. Like we talked about Paper Mario before. Yeah. It's, or Fire Emblem. Yeah, Fire Emblem, Advance, Advance Wars. Wars. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Paneled upon. Like that's crazy. How have they not been just Bought by Nintendo. Yeah, at this bought point, already. Yeah. At this point, you just like we essentially own you by law. At this point, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think that's got a lot to do with the the relationship because it's Japanese business practices know, and it's culture. Crazy, right? it's crazy. And that's just a very unique thing in Japan that you wouldn't see in the West. Although, I would say the relationship that Blue Point. I don't know if you guys know Blue Point. I'm sure you yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. So Blue Point and Sony. They seem to have a really unique relationship because Sony does not own Bluepoint. Yeah, it's weird. And to me, it's like if I was Xbox, I'd almost as a counterplay think about wow. buying Bluepoint. Although this is the interesting, this is what I love about strategy. If you're Microsoft, why would you buy Bluepoint? Because you've built a system that easily plays things backwards compatible, whereas Sony hasn't. So they need a company like Bluepoint to go back into the PS3 archive, back in the PS2 archive, PS1 archive, and then well, bring them it, into PS4. While I think it, it is, it is there's, there's definitely a comparison to be made. Like, Bluepoint have made games for Xbox. Intelligence Systems has not made a game for a non-Nintendo platform. Oh, I don't oh. think that's... Is that true? I don't think that's um, true. Uh, sorry, except if you're not counting mobile, I'm looking at the list. There's nothing that's not a Nintendo platform in, in the whole list. Hmm. So it's just mobile. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. they... I actually think of the Pokemon company. Um, oh yeah, like like things like Game Freak and stuff. Yeah, they do. All yeah, Game Freak and all the time. Not, but, yeah. yeah, but yeah, no, it's just right. like, but it's still a similar. There is a comparison we made, definitely. But yeah, yeah, that that is pretty nuts when I look at it. It's like literally because how long they've been around. So you know, since yeah. 80, 83. That's just crazy. That's crazy. All right, well let let's jump into a really beefy story. And it's the history of the Xbox launch. So there's a fantastic article, and I'd really recommend people read it, by Bloomberg. Uh, and it's like a oral history of an American video game empire. Very, very good article. Uh, I'm going to butcher her name because I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Is it Dinah Bass, you reckon? I don't know, Dina Bass. Dina Bass, sorry. Um, and Jason Schreier and uh, Takashi Muchizuki. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> I just, I'm just wondering anytime you just like pass it over to me. No, but <laughs> like, you know what I find about Japanese names and I, I find them easier to say if you have a Japanese inflection to it, but obviously I don't want to do that. If that makes sense. <laughs> um, well, thank, it, thankfully, like 
the phonetically Japanese and English are actually very like there's no sounds that exist in one that don't exist in the other as opposed to something like Mandarin. So it's pretty yeah. easy to say. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Know. I actually think it'd be easier if it wasn't like that, because then I could actually try to speak try it to in a proper way. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um I think that's what really uh trips me up. Anyway, so if Freaking amazing article! Amazing that they're able to get like oh, Bill Gates, wild. It's wild. Steve Ballmer. Yeah. Like, I'm sure they got oh, all the people who started the Xbox, big people, yeah. but they actually yeah. got like Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer uh, to get interviewed. And then just randomly, they'll go, "Oh, here's the like head of Bungie," and it's like, "What?" And it's actually like just small little bits. So, as the Xbox shill, Swinney, I think you you can definitely drive most <laughs> of this. But I've got a lot of notes as well. But what were the, some of the highlights that you saw from the article? Well, first of all, I just want to mention, you know, like people at like Jay Allard as well that are so integral, uh, mm. like all throughout this article. There's a lot of like very smaller comments from, as you said, like people like Peter Moore, um, Howard Lincoln and Nintendo at the time, Todd Howard, like lots of small things that it seems like they've, uh, I don't know how they devised this article because it's crazy, but I'm guessing they, you know, just got general comments to put in, but then they interviewed a lot of people together, it seems like. But it's... This this is probably the best article I've ever read about video games. Like on a Whoa, news, really? a news, news, wow. art, news article, news article. No, because I, I it's, it was up there. I the, say it's up there. The I, only problem is it wasn't really. I'm not saying this in a bad way. I wouldn't go so far as to call it an article. Well, it was a feature, lot of feature or whatever. Because feature, yeah, because it was a lot of a lot of. Um, Quote, well, effectively quotes. Well, of, that's why you know people and, replying or like a snippets of of conversations as opposed to an actual article. But I mean, it's still within. But the I, yeah, I love format. reading it. So you know, like it's it's the it, to me probably the best video game article ever composed. However, it was composed because okay. it's just such a an awesome insight into one of the. I, I still think such a strange thing that happened, but made sense. Yeah. Like mm. you know, you're talking about the video game space was always dominated since the death of the Atari since, uh, but it was dominated by ja- uh, Japanese. Mm. Uh, yeah. Well, let's say developers, but Japanese uh, companies. Platform holders. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then for Microsoft to come in. And I remember when, I remember when I first heard about the Xbox, no joke. I remember exactly where I was. The Xbox. So, yeah. I mean the windows entertainment platform. Yes. So I, we were in uh, high school at the time. I don't know if it was a uh, year nine or year ten, and there was a certain area that we used to sit. So we all went to high school together. For you know, for anyone that, that was it on the know. bench with Mr. Oh, Demas across here. the yeah. Why are you trying to yeah? Are you trying to dox us, Mike? Mike. Okay. I'm not going to say what happened. But okay. Was all right. It let me, on that bench. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Let's... Just wondering. So I remember, <laughs> like, I was sitting there, and I think. Intergot, you were you. You're probably the one that said, "Oh, I just heard that Microsoft is making it has announced a console," and I was like, "That's stupid, Microsoft. They make Windows." <laughs> wow! Like, and look ev- at him now. Everyone <laughs> at the time, everyone at the time the was so cynical about it. It's like that's ridiculous. That's never going to work, Microsoft. And- but, can, can I also say, just to add to that, that and I'm not saying Microsoft gets a lot of love these days. But at the late 90s, early 2000s, people hated Microsoft with a passion. Like, people would be like, I'm anti-Microsoft. I hate Microsoft. So for them to go and create a video game console, that that the whole point of it is you put it in your home, your lounge room, it just seems so contrary to people's sentiment towards the company. And it it wasn't a company that did fun stuff. 
yeah. back then. Yeah. It, it wasn't like the fun sort of company. Mm. It was the serious, we do, you know, proper software. So it kind of makes sense that people didn't. Yeah. Uh, I do find it funny that now Sony feels like the more serious one in some <laughs> ways. So like just the marketing and everything is so much more serious. I'm just going back to what you're saying. Yeah, just yep. to finish off what I was saying. So just to then place that, because, you know, when you think physically where you were and when you heard about something for the first time, this, they talk about exactly when this stuff happened. So then I could actually picture myself where I was in That's my so life. Cool. It was, it's just wild to think. I have and to then, say that is really cool, yeah. And then when they went through, so they essentially, they talk about that, the idea from the Xbox, you know, came from a few different places, but essentially a lot of it was born from an executive retreat and as, as a response to what Sony was doing with the PlayStation and how PlayStation was saying, you know, they, they essentially wanted to be in every home and almost replace PCs, which is a ridiculous idea now when you think about it. Well, but... and they were calling themselves a computer. They're saying yeah. it's a computer. Exactly. Hmm. Well, I don't think it's ridiculous because in, in some ways it sort of replaced what a lot of people do or have done on PCs. Well, ridiculous in the sense that if you think about what a PC provide, like what wider things a PC does for people, um, you know, outside of obviously playing games, it's, you know, PlayStation never replaced a majority of that stuff. But it's crazy yeah. to think that it started like that and then Sony almost took it in the entertainment direction with the DVD player and the Blu-ray player. Mm. So, with, and that, their, their mm. market, you know, that's where Sony always played. But can I can I just sit in that space for a little bit longer, Swinney? Because I think it's it's amazing how almost our video game landscape is the result of pissing contests. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you know, we spoke about it the other week, and I was actually thinking about it during the week. The the Nintendo PlayStation, like I still like more. I thought about it. I'm like the Nintendo PlayStation is the, like the most important so far, the most important video game artifact that exists. Because it's spurned on this company to create the PlayStation, which is now the dominant uh, gaming platform, like for consoles, obviously, like Steam would be globally, like out of anything, or actually mobile games would be the biggest. Um, but yeah, like, so you've got this company and really it was a betrayal that Mark, uh, that Nintendo betrayed Sony. Like they'd spent all this time in R&D to develop the CD drive and then they didn't realize that Nintendo was also doing it with another company. Can you remember what it was? Was it Panasonic or... I can't remember what the other company was. Yeah, NEC, NEC, or uh, it was one of the other major Japanese. I always think it's Panasonic because um, they, I think, they continue to work. No, was or was it Philips? CDI was Philips, wasn't it? Oh, it might have been Philips. Yeah, Yeah, it was Philips because they also gave the properties to make those horrible CDI. Yeah, yeah, Philips is not a Japanese company, though, right? No, I think it is. I think it is. Anyway, like, so Sony being betrayed, do you want to check it, Mike? (laughs) Yeah, I'll check it. So Sony being betrayed then spurned them to say, you know what, we're going to get into this and make our own thing, which then became super successful, successful from the first PlayStation. And and then the fact that they went too far with the PlayStation 2 sort of saying, hey, you know, this is going to be a computer. We're going to have four or five PlayStations in every home. We won't need like a desktop anymore then spurred Microsoft, like, and it did seem like it was a big component of them doing it. It was like, you know, really, you know, saying to people like Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer, they want to make a computer. They want to be the computer. What are we doing with Sony? And like, maybe without those statements, they would never have made the Xbox, which is kind of crazy to think about. 
it's it's wild and it's really interesting because they talk about the Valentine's Day massacre meeting that they that they <laughs> mentioned, which is like <laughs> sounds like the one of the craziest executive meetings ever, and how pivotal it was in you know how the Xbox actually ends up going ahead. But the fact that the numbers and and they lost so much money at the start, you know, of they the Xbox was console was not a money making machine; it was a money losing making. Uh, losing machine, losing making machine. It was a money losing machine. The money making losing machine. Wait, what did you say? It's a money losing making machine. <laughs> money losing anyway, making machine. They base, but the idea is that they're like, no, we need to like, we're still going to do this. It's wild. I, I just that whole thing about the fact that Bill Gates and Steve Barmer were like taking turns to just like absolutely just like destroy them like yeah. verbally and stuff. It's it's wild. But they, they, they got got on board, according to the article, pretty strongly after a bit. They, they were quite supportive of it. So they obviously saw the, the potential. But, uh, but I, think, I think the part, yeah, it was definitely the part where they were in the meeting and I think everyone was pretty negative about it and they were about to shut it down and then someone said, what about the PlayStation? And then everyone kind of said it and that, turn things around and everyone's like, oh, yeah, shit. <laughs> what about the PlayStation? Uh, so Philips is actually from the Netherlands. Uh, they're a oh, Dutch okay. so company. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe it was Philips, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? Mm. Maybe it could have been Panasonic. Uh, yeah, who knows? You, just, just a quick point uh, before we talk about the rest of it. I don't know what the numbers are when it comes to consoles, but given the number of PCs that I've built... I still find it quite fascinating that you can make this consumer product at that price point. Oh, yeah. So the, the Xbox One X, uh, so, sorry, the Xbox Series X being priced at, you know, 750 Australian. How much is it in the US? 500? 500, 499. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to build an equivalent PC, yeah, good luck. It's going to cost you at least twice that probably. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's actually crazy, like the, the kind of value you get in that sense. Yeah, so. the, the craziest was the PS3 because they were legitimately losing, like, they were saying maybe yeah. $400 per PS3. That's insane, yeah. And the architecture of the PS3, even today, is pretty wild with the cell architecture. And, you know, it was so much so that, like, genuine labs in America were buying PS3s in bulk because what they'd figured out was you could run Linux on it and then also mm. the computational power you got it got from it per dollar was like leagues above anything else out there. So universities, crazy, some universities, like a thousand PS3s in a grid Whoa. to do computations. They <laughs> so, were the original scalpers. And... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid universities. Could you imagine, could you imagine like machines. A, frat, a frat house like breaking into the server thing and being like, Oh man, we can now like do. I know there's no system link of PS3. I don't bro. think if it's like, oh my god, we can like do like play bloody Call of Duty on all this. <laughs> Halo, bro. <laughs> oh shit, it's PS3. It sucks, bro. <laughs> um, you know, but there's a about, thousand of them. Talking about system link, I just wanted to jump into the Bungie stuff. So uh, you know, there's so many parts of this article, and what I really loved about this article, whereas it felt like if that thing didn't happen, the Xbox wouldn't exist today. And I feel like the whole Bungie being in a bit of a financial trouble or turmoil, which, you know, pretty much mm. happens with all these studios, even studios that 
we say, wow, they made a, like a lot of big games. Like Double Fine was in a lot of trouble before Microsoft bought them. Uh, and it looked like they were going to go under at one point. And you look at Bungie and all the stuff around Halo, and they didn't have high expectations on of Halo. Like even, uh, what's his name, Aaron Greenberg, who's the current head of marketing. Back then he used to project how many sales for each game would occur. He had Halo way down the, the chart. I, I look back and I go, to me, Xbox was Halo at the start, and it, it mm. isn't now. It certainly isn't. Synonymous like, with it, yeah. Game Pass, to me, is Xbox now. But, like, that's a different discussion. But certainly Halo, sorry, Xbox and Xbox 360, the differentiator for me was always Halo, personally. Like, I felt like, oh, that machine's got Halo, and that looks like a pretty decent FPS for a console. Um, and I just look at it and I go, well, if that Bungie acquisition didn't occur... Would it really have survived or would it have just been a one console sort of thing before it went on? So. It's it's pretty crazy because you did have nice. like it did have some big hitters that while you wouldn't think of as a big hitter now at the time was like Dead or Alive Three was was huge. Um mm. and they they do talk to Tomonobi oh Itagaki. Um and they it's really interesting because you think Splinter Cell, you think um Dead or Alive and obviously Bungie and uh, Morrowind. Like yeah, these Morrowind. are the big games that were like, okay, these are the killer apps on the Xbox. And they, they have commentary from all of them. It's so cool. But one of my favorite things is actually when they talk about all the potential acquisitions. So they talked to a whole bunch of people, you know, they got laughed down by EA, Nintendo. That's a funny one. The comment there basically that, you know, like what <laughs> is it for an hour? Um, they, they just laugh their asses off. Like imagine an hour of someone just laughing at you. It's great. But the crazy one for me is actually Midway. So Midway was, we know Midway doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah. And just think about how different things would have been really if they had purchased Midway because that's they were a pretty they were a really big name in development at the time, and now like people don't really think about Midway, but like back then, like they mm. were they were really big, and it's just it's just interesting to see. We talked before about like was it sliding doors, like what would have happened, the what if scenario yeah. if they had actually purchased Midway, what would that have what would have changed there, and it's just because you know like even Square, like Square, I don't think they like. That wouldn't have made sense to me at the time. But, yeah, it was just really, really I cool. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, like, world. with the Midway one, though, like, that was one where I did understand from a business point of view, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. the publishing and marketing and, you know, that was all, like, worth a lot of money back then. But it did, like, it was basically zero for Microsoft. So they didn't need be, it, yeah. Yeah, they're going to be paying a lot of money for nothing. So it, it, it was just an unfortunate thing. I think... What you'd maybe see now is they'd actually split the company up into pieces and sell the IP portion to Microsoft. Mm. So you get the you know the development chops and the Mortal Kombat's and things like that across to Microsoft and then retain the rest of the company. You make a lot of money that way, maybe. And I guess they could have done that. Back then, then what are you left with? Yeah. yeah, no, but there's still a lot of value in the in the publishing and the marketing and all the other mm. work that they did as well. But Square, I don't know. I think Square still to me was like. Maybe that was worthwhile to push that harder because Square Square had a, such an interesting decade, right? Like from Final Fantasy VI on the Super Nintendo, then seven switching over to PlayStation, big thing in Japan. Then, you know, to this where they could have been bought out and then Square Enix. It's just what a crazy 10 years that Square had in that period of time. Yeah, it was wild. 
So the, who was who was the actual console ultimately marketed at in terms of so so when you think about the fact that the the launch the biggest game really that they had was Halo, which is which a they didn't think it was going to be. Which they well <laughs> did they not? Here's the thing. No, so they when didn't. you think they about they, they even said in this article that their numbers they had it like way low on the list. So when you look at the marketing that they had when and. And I hope I'm not jumping in here, Swinney, talking about the fact that they used the rock no, on the no, initial launch. This is launch. all freeform discussion. Um, <laughs> I, I found it fascinating because, you know, the, the, I, I remember the, I forget who the marketing person was. They looked at um, some studies that were being done and how wrestling had a huge, was a huge thing and obviously, you know, there was a link to the target market that they had if they specifically chose the rock and the whole wrestling theme. Um so I'll just I'll just clarify that. it was a Cindy Spodek Dickey, who was the manager of National right. Super Promotions, and they found a there was a crossover lifestyle report that essentially showed that fast food um the games crossed over fast food and WWE. So, so it's interesting, I think, because it, <laughs> to me, that by that Which point, they obviously had... It is true. This is the thing I it, love. It is true. It's true. But, I mean, they obviously had a target market in in place at that point because initially, you know, the, the thoughts were we want to get a computer in everyone's room. But then you could clearly see they pivoted to a particular target market to try to make this thing successful. And I think... If that was the case, you know, a game like Halo makes perfect sense for it to be successful because if your target market is people who are into wrestling, uh, into more of those sort of action things, you can see why Halo would be successful within that context. So I'm surprised that they would have said, oh, we don't think it's going to be successful, but at the same time try to market this console to the people that would actually be into those kind of games. Well, that's because other than Goldeneye, a first-person shooter, and, and maybe Turok in a very lower end of it, a first-person shooter had never really proven successful on console. So Yeah, and there was a, there was, was a, there was a, a quote in the actual... I forget which... which do, do you guys remember who said that? That it's like it, it was the number one thing you don't do, which is... It's like a rule of nature. First-person yeah. shooter. Yeah, it was like a rule of nature. That, that was it, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the whole rock thing like that's that was awesome, and it's such an iconic, um, such an iconic, I guess, visual of Bill Gates and yeah. the Rock on stage of the Xbox. <laughs> that's that I it's like just it. like that. I went. It's I was like the thinking, nerd and the jock kind of. We kind thing. of, you know, we put these stories up as clips on YouTube, but we kind of prepare some of the thumbnails and stuff. And I'm like, there's nothing else <laughs> I'm putting up other than that that has to be the thumbnail. So I always check, oh, you know, this is, a, this, so is cool. this is looking behind the, the curtains. I always check and go through the videos and go, oh, I'm going to change this video out and do this stuff, which is pretty rare these days. But I, I actually went into this story and I was like, okay, the video has to be Bill Gates and The Rock. And if it's not, I'm just going to change it <laughs> unilaterally. <laughs> and then when I check the clip that you put in, I'm like, yeah, yeah you've chosen the right clip. Good, good. <laughs> and, and, you know, the thing is that's cool is even today in 2021, Bill Gates and The Rock are almost as relevant as they were yeah, back then. It's wild. It's yeah. wild. And for different ways in some ways, but yeah. And if they had chosen any good. other wrestler, like Stone Cold, maybe on the same level, maybe a bit bigger than The Rock back then. I don't know. You know that better than I do, Swinney. It, oh, you know, look, he, it wouldn't have been as good. He, yes, but The Rock was at this like, 
this high popularity that then we know what happened with The Rock. Like he became one. But of I'm the saying at the time we're making that decision. But even at the time, exactly, was wasn't wild. The Rock more? I know very little about wrestling, so correct me if I'm wrong. But it felt like The Rock was the most fun kind of personality was, in wrestling. He was the next big thing. And he was yeah. like, yeah. so they made they made the best. He was also possible, available. They so. made the best possible choice. That's oh, all I can 100% say. Hundred percent, they made the best. That's choice. all. But I, I wonder. Say. I wonder if he was the first choice. They didn't really fully go into that in the article whether he was actually the first choice or, or he was the only one available at the time. Do I this. don't think it's. I the wonder. Latter. I think he would have been the people. Like, he probably okay, was one of the we big need, choices. We yeah, want- I'm, not, I'm not saying he wasn't, but I'm just curious. No, because there's no like, as I said, like Stone Cold, just Stone. You think about the characters of these wrestlers, which I know you know you guys aren't as familiar with. Like, doesn't make sense. Like, it makes sense. The The Rock, he was a corporate champion. He was like the cool guy. You know what I mean? Like, this made sense. It made sense. Oh, and and it's like the quote that you got in in our notes, which is, you know, do you think we need a couple of wrestlers on stage? And then someone said, we don't need a couple. We just need the Rock. (laughs) So, like, they were very clear, like what they thought would make sense. And and it's like what Swinney said. It was a perfect decision. Like the acquisition of Bungie, getting them on board, getting Halo as a exclusive, just you know a few of these things put together, then led them to outsell the uh, GameCube, which actually surprised me when I checked that. Like it was almost the same, but it paled in comparison. So I think it was like you know the Xbox launched twenty four million, GameCube was like twenty two million sold, like very decent numbers. And then the PS2, 155 million plus. It's insane. It's insane. And now, like, what I always say to people about that is, because they don't have the data for this. Even Sony doesn't have the data. But how many people bought a PlayStation 2 for the sole reason to use it as a DVD player? Yeah. yeah. Because but I don't want to discredit the fact that a lot of people mm. bought to play games on. But yeah. no, Certainly no, not at launch. I bought it later down the track to use as a DVD player, but that was... Once it was sort of in, in multiple iterations, like the smaller version of yeah. it. But, but people, not don't, people no. don't remember because like, you know, especially if you're younger, you just have no recollection of this, but because you didn't exist, you know, back then in the early 2000s, DVDs were like, that was the way to watch things, hmm. movies, even TV shows started coming out on DVD and DVD players were expensive, but you could buy a PlayStation 2 in Australia and America for the same price as a DVD player. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would argue it was better DVD player than others, like it dedicated was, DVD players. Yeah, but I think when they started, you started getting a lot more region-free DVD players, then it wasn't as, you know, like... That's if you, true. That's yeah, true. In but, Australia. And they became cheaper. In Australia. Yeah. That, that wasn't a big deal in America, because yeah, you've got to exactly. remember, America, the world is America. <laughs> like, there is no <laughs> other world. But I think um, it's also one of those things, why would you buy a, a standalone DVD player when... Even if it costs you just a little bit more, you get a console exactly. that you can do so, so much more with. So, like, for instance, my dad bought a PlayStation 2 and a PlayStation 3. He's not a gamer. He's never played a game in his life. No, but Blu-ray. Blu-ray they, was exactly. cheap they as count, far as... They count as sales. Yeah. So I, it totally I always, counts as sales, yeah. I always kind of put a bit of an asterisk on those those things. But, you know, an asterisk, okay, give them 50 million. They still have 105 million <laughs> sold for the PlayStation 2. Um Awesome, awesome article. The one thing that did shock me in the end, I really tried to figure out how many Halo copies were sold. And the number that I came to was like 4.2 million. I feel like that's wrong. Because no, that, I thought it... that leads to an attach rate of like 
6.5%. No, somewhere in the article, I thought it said 10 million copies of Halo sold, didn't it? Oh, did it? Or did I misread that? Wasn't there in the article somewhere that that said there was a number in there, Swinny? I I can't remember that one. I do recall that when you said that. When when, when you say that, it it does give me a flash that something like that Mm. had happened. Because that, that was the only thing that I thought, ah, oh, you know, you'd think that it would sell like crazy, but but yeah, great article. Was there anything else you guys wanted to mention from it? So, sorry, I'm just looking up. Um, yeah, so I think you're right. Uh, it says by July 2006, 4.2. So it's yeah, probably the same to... thing you found, yeah. yeah also, that's people... Wikipedia and, and we know that sometimes that stuff is, is not accurate, but... Well, it's not that it's not accurate. It's that it's accurate to the information that's out there. Yeah, Because yeah. some of this stuff, they just never have said. Like, Microsoft yeah. has never said, as of, what was it, three or four years ago, how many Xbox Ones have been sold. So we're all guessing when people mm. say. And people do know the number, but it's not public information, right? I wonder um, if, even if internally there, you know, is there like a central, do the accounting team or who holds that sort of information? Because oh, I know the do, places yeah, that yeah. I've worked worked in in the past, certain pieces of information like that just get lost. Like if I was to go back and say how many, uh, you know, people downloaded this particular app that I would have yeah. worked on uh, back in 2015, no one would know. That yeah. information is not kept anywhere like it just yeah. it was relevant at the time and then forgotten it was on someone's drive they left the company never shared it with anyone else wasn't put in a central spot it's gone yeah. I, look i would be shocked if every single one of the big publishers didn't know pretty much they would have to thousand. surely yeah. yeah yeah sure they would know they would know but they just don't tell people now really cool why, why article. Would they, yeah. <laughs> um I'd love to see more articles like this. I, I echo Swinney's sentiment. I do think it's one of the yeah. better articles I've ever read. Oh, it was, read. It was awesome. Even though technically it wasn't an article, I well, still it's, think. It's definitely an article. I think it I was. Don't know why technically well, look, it was an article. Ar- well, it was an article, but the, the format was, and maybe that's what made it so good, because it was less about one person's personal writing and opinion, per se, and more about just seeing what the actual people said. And I think that was that was super cool about it. It was just a huge collection of actual things people said. Mm, mm. So, on to our next story, and I've been really excited to talk about this all week. Uh, it broke just like maybe a few hours after we actually spoke last Sunday, but near Automata, the final secret for that game has been discovered. So. There's an Australian video game hacker and player and YouTube guy, Lance McDonald. Uh, we'll endeavor to put a link to his channel in, in the notes for the video. Uh, he, he does a lot of work on speed running the games, playing the games, doing a lot of crazy things with the games, but also reverse engineering games in general, but especially with Nier Automata. It's one of his favorite games. And the whole kind of Nier Automata sort of scene and scene around that game always focused in on the fact that uh, Platinum had mentioned that there's a final secret in that game that hasn't been discovered. And Yoko so, yeah. specifically, who's not part of Platinum, but um, yeah, he specifically confirmed that there is a final secret that hadn't been found yet. Yeah. And when you have a bunch of people, and it's a very, like, I actually really love that game. I haven't put a lot of time into it. Uh, Mike actually bought it for me. Very nice of him. Uh, yeah, for my birthday, I think. That was very nice. Hmm. Um, Thanks for playing it. I have, I've played it a bit. I've actually played the bit that they're talking about, which is right at the start of the game. 
Wait, the biggest secret was right at the start of the game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So huh. the game is like a really odd game. If you haven't played it, you should actually play it. It's a really awesome game. But essentially, you know, he'd heard this. It's like, okay, that's kind of crazy. And when you give a scene of people who are trying to like hack something, break it apart, and then you tell them, oh, there's something that hasn't been discovered yet, that just sends people into a frenzy. That that gets people excited. It's like, you know, Swinney and I love the band Tool. And with the album Lateralis, there was like some secrets that Tool have still said today, no one's worked out yet. So it just gets people really like worked up and excited about that kind of stuff. With this game, you know, and it was, it's awesome. You know, I do have a programming background. He actually, I could see what he's doing. He's like going through like the hex editor, looking at the game. And then he's actually blown the game out into the assembly code of the actual game. So he discovered that there was a... Basically, you know, just a routine. You can think of it like that. Like something that gets triggered and it said something like cheat command manager. And he's like, mm, hang on a second. I've never seen this being executed while playing this game. So like, how do you get to this routine? So he, he sort of worked from that sort of final conclusion of there's a procedure here that's never been used. How do I trigger that procedure? So he started reverse engineering the game. Like where could this be called in the, in the assembly code? go to there, keep going backwards, 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 and then discover that there's an actual sequence of of button presses that you need to do. So it's like R2, up, down, up, right, left, square, circle, triangle, cross. That yeah, would trigger that. the routine to happen. But he had to do it at this exact coordinates, like an X, Y, Z coordinate within the game's world. After defeating... The first boss, basically, right? Yeah, and it's not even like a boss, really. Like, if I've beaten it, it first a, go, it's it not much a, of a boss. It's a boss. Yeah. I don't know what okay. it's wait, 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 boss. I mean, this is... Sure. I, can, I can see why someone had to actually go through... This, this is obviously a secret, not so much. I don't, I don't feel like it's a secret that the developers put in for people to naturally discover. Because the yeah, sequence correct. of events correct. to get to it is, is impossible to do, I reckon. Like, in a million years, people wouldn't have done no, this. No, this... So you had to reverse engineer it. No, that's exactly what they wanted. Because this game is the most fitting game to ever have this kind of secret. <laughs> the game itself allow, allows you to equip and unequip chips that modify the actual viewer's HUD. It's so fourth wall breaking. It's crazy. Yeah, it is like, extremely, yeah, which going, I think is... Yeah, there's it, there's it, stuff that yeah. I'd love to talk about that I'm not going to spoil. Yeah, that's but not ruin it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. That, that's all. It's thing. kind of... Let's just say it's kind of like the... When, when you remember uh, beating or pitting up against Psychomantis. Exactly. On so, Metal Gear Solid where you had to and, change the controller to the second port. That was brilliant. Yeah. So this and it's so it's the most fitting game to basically have a secret that someone's probably only gonna fight if they find if they actually go through this process. It's yeah. which is wild. obviously intentional, yeah. Well, yeah. With the exception it's... of the fact that the code itself, the input code, was actually a known thing. Which mm. is super cool. Yeah, just... and that was confirmed by someone else on Twitter. Exactly, yeah. After Lance posted it, someone replied, he goes, oh, this is actually the same code that you use for Bayonetta 2. And then the thing I really loved about it is that it does a rough outline of the Platinum Games logo. <laughs> like, that's the code. And you could actually see it. Like, when I yeah, yeah. saw the overlay, I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, because I was kind of like, it's kind of weird that it's like up, down, up, right, left. I'm like, why is it kind of like that moment, uh, movement and sort of made more sense for the P and everything like that. So, yeah, this, this is like right up my alley, man. I love this kind of stuff. I couldn't imagine, you know, he said that he spent hundreds of hours debugging this, decoding it, doing all this stuff. Imagine the wow. feeling that the dude had, and this guy's awesome, he's an Aussie guy. 
imagine the feeling of like doing this and then it unlocking and then all these things like coming out of it. Oh, yeah. It would be an insane thing. It would be so but cool. Like Nicholas Cage and National Treasure. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually going to mention that uh, later. Amazingly. Next segment. Um, so the, this is probably my favorite, one of my favorite secrets in the game that's not the, I think my all-time favorite secret in the game is the Chris Houlihan room in Link to the Past. That's still just one of oh, the, yeah, the cool. craziest, coolest secrets. That's, cool. that's crazy because it's Nintendo as well. Like, exactly. That's crazy, yeah. But this, just because of how fitting it is to, I guess, the meta-narrative of mm. Near Automata. It's just, I love this so much. And the fact that not only Yokotaro confirming, saying, I think you said something like three years, ten months in a tweet. Yeah, yeah Basically yeah, how yeah. long it took. And then the official Near tweets kind of, you know, congratulating uh, Lance it was just such a cool story. Um, I just I love it so much. It's great. Yeah, it's it's a real sick story. I actually like want to try to do this, but maybe after I play through Near Automata, because obviously <laughs> it would jump you right to the end of the game. And we we didn't really mention that. Kind of so sounds you... like something you would do, Mister Donkey Kong <laughs> Cheater Man. <laughs> no, no, I've I've gone straight and narrow. It's it's Swinney that would cheat now. Um, right. So we should actually say that, you know, once you do this code, it actually puts you to one of the hidden endings of the game, <laughs> then unlocks chapter select, the debug room, debug menu, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, um, I I just say it you it will be the biggest spoiler ever of the game if you I do this. I want to play the game now. If you do this. So do not the game do, do not do this. No. Honestly, do not do this. Oh, no. The game <laughs> Unless you've already played through I want. Of course. Okay, so. Yeah, yeah, I was worried the spoiler was going to be a game-related spoiler, so I'm glad it's not. Because I actually didn't read this. I didn't watch the, the video intentionally because I went, I don't want any spoilers. I, specifically, I, I really want to finish that game. I specifically wrote our notes in a way that wouldn't mention yeah. stuff. As yeah, well. I appreciate so, that. No, this I is hate good. spoilers. This is fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, we should no, this play is it. fine. This we is should... the kind of spoiler that doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's good. We should try to play it, Mike, because then uh, we can all yeah. have a chat about it. You uh, you finished it, right, Swinny? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, really... Is it an RPG, Swinny? Oh, definitely. Oh, then that's why you yeah. played it. I'm, I, it's a great game regardless. But it's, it's just a great game. It's yeah. a great yeah. action game. Played... It's a great RPG. You played the original Nier, which is an underrated gem, I it's, think. I actually, I've, I actually prefer the original Nier. Really? Yeah. You're such a contrarian. I, I actually, no, I just <laughs> love... No, that's, why I'm so pumped for the, that's why I'm so pumped for the remaster, because it's like getting a, a cool new... Well, better playing coat of paint on what I feel is a better story. But I love mm, Nier Automata cool. as well. That was on my short list for uh, honourable mentions in terms of games I'm looking forward to this year. So, yeah, no, like really, really cool story. Really cool that all the developers, <coughs> the studio, actually replied directly back to Lance to say, yep, you found it, congratulations. The, I don't know, the whole thing is just like a really nice heartwarming story as well. It's like cool that someone's discovered something, done a lot of hard work and actually... Um, got the payoff and, and kudos. The amazing thing for me was normally you see this kind of stuff and then you look at the person's channel and you go, oh, this one video they've done has got like a million views and everything else they've done is like 5,000, right? Mm. For this guy, this was actually one of his like lesser watched videos what? out of wow. the last year. I was like, wow, this, it's so cool that like these little communities just have like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people watching something just like so mm. like niche. So... Uh, and speaking of uh, niche things, it's very fitting. Uh, so just a story around core designs cancelled 
2006 PlayStation uh, Portable. Jeez, I got really stuck there because I never say that word. Uh, remake for the first Tomb Raider game. So this was going to be the 10th anniversary edition uh, that never got released, but a playable build has been released online, which is kind of interesting. So the, guy, the game eventually came back through Crystal Dynamics, um, through the games that like Swinney has talked about uh, and that you do you are very fond of. So Swinney, like, ha- have you played this demo? Because the demo is available now, or the alpha build on Tomb of Ash, which is a Tomb Raider site. So no, I haven't played it, but I just want to clarify that the Crystal Dynamics one was is a different pitch. It was essentially a different project altogether. You know, obviously a different developer. And this this PSP remake was planned for release after Crystal Dynamics had essentially already revived the series of Tomb Raider Legend. So the fact oh, that they, really, oh, yeah, that's really odd. So Crystal okay, Dynamics, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, so it went Angel of Darkness, which was just it killed the series, um, Tomb Raider series. It was such a horrible game. Then Crystal Dynamics was given the franchise and released the, the fantastic Tomb Raider Legend. Then yeah. um, I think Core Design had a game called Free Running or an engine that they'd used um, for that game, and they said, "You know what? This is already a PSP engine. Let's we can make a remake of the first Tomb Raider game, which they uh. created." So they went that, and obviously it it got cancelled um, after Crystal Dynamics went for pitch to say we can actually make honestly a better remake that's cross-platform so suddenly mm. it goes from being a game that's only released on the psp which didn't have a huge user base to mm. being a game on ps2 xbox um xbox um and the next gen consoles and wii and everything like that and it ended up being yeah in two Raider anniversary which was my in our most underappreciated uh games feature uh quite a few episodes ago is my Number one most underappreciated game. Mm. Uh, it's one of my favorite games of all time, Tomb Raider Anniversary. So the fact that this is so linked to one of my favorite games, and what I love about this is such a, an odd story that Core Design, who was quite struggling at the time, they said, "Well, obviously that's not that's now being cancelled." They tried doing re-pitching the game as reskinned versions, so they tried to, uh, to pitch it as an Indiana Jones game. And as a national treasure game, so we mentioned national treasure. <laughs> oh, first time I didn't ever... actually read that part. That's it's, awesome. Exactly. Oh, you so didn't read it. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't when I said that. That's so cool. So, and um, that obviously didn't pan out. And Core Design got sold off to Rebellion, who and they changed the name, and then they shut down in 2010. But yeah, so the games uh, essentially the, all the assets have been put up on the Internet Archive. Apparently, I was reading on the Tomb of Ash website, who the ones that have provided instructions how to get this playable. Um, they actually did reach out to Crystal Dynamics to see if they could like get some official like hosting of this information, but they didn't get any Whoa. response. So right. yeah, so that's I'm that's surprised a shame. this is still up and available. To be honest, like well, if this was Nintendo, they would have said, uh, "Sorry, take this offline." No, what but I I think the information I don't know where they got it from. They didn't. They don't divulge that. From what I can see, maybe it's maybe that information is available somewhere else. But mm. um, this, I mean, these are assets held by the. Core design doesn't exist anymore. So, yeah, no, but this is an IP, right? Like Lara Croft is very active. Yeah, IP. I don't know. I don't know the legal side of that stuff because it's more because I think I don't know exactly how it works, but I think the build may have been actually based on the Indiana Jones skinned version or something. So I'm not sure exactly, but I think they've reworked it to make it so to get it back to where it was. 
but yeah, it's just a really cool story. And uh, mm. as I said, Tomb Raider Anniversary is such an underrated game. Um, I just love it so much. So it's just kind of very interesting to see the history of how you had two different developers working on a remake at the same time. Yeah, no, I'm glad you corrected that because I didn't, because I, I mean, it makes no sense. That's why it's so weird to me when you were saying that. I was like, I didn't pick that up when I was reading through this stuff. So yeah, I, like if you're going to play this, I would download this soon because I feel like this is going to get removed. It does like, it, it does look pretty rough. And remember, this is a PSP game as well that you're playing on a PC. I think it looks pretty good. Like, well, I, I, it looks rough in terms build. of... That's what I'm saying. Cyberpunk. That's <laughs> that's what I mean. It's Sorry, rough in the it. sense that like there's a lot of animations that clearly weren't finished and things. So don't think this yeah. is to the point where this isn't what the intended vision of the game was meant to be. Yeah, so. but very good alpha build from what I've seen and what I'm seeing in the video. Um, yeah, like it's a really weird one. It's a really weird one. And I, I, the whole thing about the PSP as well, like the PSP was an interesting handheld. It actually sold quite a lot relatively um but if you look at the attach rates, like the amount of software sold versus hardware, it was abysmal. And it wasn't because people weren't playing the games. It was because that console suffered from, or handheld, suffered from an insane amount of piracy. Like to the point of you've never seen before. Like it, I, I swear, it felt like everyone I knew who had a PSP, it was a hacked PSP. Um, and it really did, you know, kind of kill the console to a big degree. And it caused a lot of crazy decisions with the Vita, with the memory sticks and all that kind of stuff, the proprietary stuff. So now very cool to check out, I think. All right, let's move on to the next story, which is around Minecraft Earth. So I'm not sure how many people would know this, but Minecraft Earth was released last year in October. and uh, 2019, I think. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I forget that we're in 2021. And I should say that, you know, in a very sort of, COVID world. So this game came out late October 2019, very much like a Pokemon Go, but in the real world. I actually tried to install this. So the idea is like the whole earth can, you know, have Minecraft AR stuff all over it. But when I actually tried to play it, it crashed my phone. It just wouldn't work. And I, like I had the latest iPhone. So I was like, I, I didn't try very much, but I did try a little bit and I found it very frustrating. Uh, but very surprisingly, Mojang, uh, owned by Microsoft, have announced that they are going to close the service and they're going to close the service on the 30th of June. So Oops, this game, I when didn't... it released, was like number one on the charts for a while and then sort of fell off and just seems like it never really got any player base playing it. Did you ever try installing it, Swinny? So, well, I was just going to say, he, show of hands, right? I, I'll use my hand feature. You guys can use your face games. Right. Yeah. Who actually knew this game was released? What game? Sorry, I, I went to get a coffee. Minecraft <laughs> Earth. Minecraft Earth. Who, who knew this game? You don't even, know. You don't even actually... know because you don't even care if I'm here. No, I saw you. I, saw I had no left. idea. I've never, I've never played it. So you what didn't know it was released? No. So I didn't know this game was released. Really? Okay, interesting. I no. knew because okay. I installed it. That's because it's not an RPG, okay. so you wouldn't know anyway. <laughs> All right, no. Exactly. I just find that interesting because... This game, when it actually got announced, the reason I bring it up was when it actually got revealed, it did actually get quite a bit of buzz. People are like, oh, yeah. this is cool, blah, blah, blah. And I swear, there was just like, it felt like, from at least from like a general consensus standpoint, almost just silence after that. So I don't know what happened because nobody ever mentioned this game since since the reveal that I ever came across. Now, 
Hmm. Maybe that's just because I just generally don't tend to frequent the places where people talk about augmented reality mobile games very much. Which is very, very shady places. Probably a good thing you don't frequent them. <laughs> which is fair enough because that's literally what this is. You know, it's in the vein of, as I said, Pokemon Go and, you know, the, the Harry Potter games and stuff. Yeah. Well, but, that, that's what I was going to ask. The Harry Potter game. Is that, are people still playing that? I don't know. All I know is that augmented reality, Pokemon Go was obviously is gigantic. It still is very big. But it seems like nothing, nothing's really been able to match that in any way. Yeah. It's oh, kind of wild. But by the way, when you say very uh, sort of big, I'd just like to correct you there. <laughs> Even in one single year, Pokemon Go has outsold every single Pokemon game combined. No, but I'm talking about in compar- like in relevant terms to when it first came out and there was a gigantic explosion. So it's kind of like it's still yes. very big in comparison to that. That's what I mean. Yeah. And just on that as well, like Pokemon Go, amazingly, given that you've got the pandemic and it's like you think it's the worst time for Pokemon Go, Pokemon Go from a like engagement, people playing, people spending money, it's at its peak now, which is mind boggling. Really? One hundred percent. From from yes, it's it's the biggest it's ever been right now. One hundred percent from a zeitgeist, popular culture, it's like nothing. Pokemon Go, like I. My wife plays it still, but and I know mates that play it, but outside of that, I never hear about it, like in regular kind of conversations. Whereas Pokemon Go, when it launched, people at work, you know, like senior people where I work were talking about Pokemon Go. I was like mind blown that people knew about this game and were talking about it. And yeah, it was just quite quite a crazy phenomenon. Yeah, for two weeks, I still, so. I well, not just for the two weeks, I actually still have my my girlfriend's sisters still play it. Actively. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people play it. A lot of um, people put money into it. Like a lot of money played, into yeah. It. yeah, and they put money into it. It actually kind of blows me away. I, th- I think at this point, honestly, I hate to bring this up again. I feel like they're just addicted to it. <laughs> I, they don't even talk... Well, they don't even talk about <laughs> yeah, it in a fun it. way. They talk about it in like, oh, i got to go here and, and get this thing. Yeah, it's a chore. <laughs> it's a chore now. So clearly it's a freaking addiction. It's not something that sure. you even enjoy doing. It's crazy. Have but I ever anyway. told you the story? Have what? I told you the story, you guys, about the Pokemon Go lady? No. What about her? No. Have I told you the story, Sweeney? No. So just quickly. So I was walking home, and as I normally do, I'm quite distracted listening to podcasts or whatever. And mm. this lady in like an electric wheelchair thing, or like you know the you know the what are they called the? It's like an electric wheelchair. Mm. I don't remember what they're called. Um, she almost ran me over, and I'm like, "What the hell's going on?" And when she was coming, she was coming so quick. It wasn't even like slowing down or anything. Okay. And she had like, I was like, whoa, like, I've never been taken aback like this in public for something like this. She had like eight mobile phones I've all like mounted s- around oh, her. Yeah. Right? Wow. I've only seen that in, on, on Reddit. And I was like, yeah. what the Real? hell is this? Right. She what? was coming at me what? and I'm like, what the hell's going on? Right. And then I, I, you know, look, everyone's inquisitive. So I look around to see what the hell she's doing. And she's like an old lady, man, like 65, 70, you know, like that age range, white hair, all that kind of stuff, really large. And I turn around and see it and she's playing Pokemon Go on every single screen. It was like eight screens. And this was like a year and a bit ago. Like That's, I was like, it was so look, I'm not one to. Uh, it's not public shaming or anything, but I would have taken a photo, blurred out the face, and gone. <laughs> no, I don't, I'm not into that. The world needs to see this. This is amazing. <laughs> it was because I remember funny. there was the, there was the guy from Japan, I think, where the where he had 
like on 20, his bike, 20 he had a phones whole, or like something. twenty yeah. phones or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's like. But that. at that point, at that point, it makes me wonder what for. Are they going to sell it? Like, what no, are they trying to do so with I that? So I asked many? my wife about that because she plays the game, right? And she's like, because she's going so deep on this stuff. She's talking about playing my Switch to play Animal Crossing, and she's used my phone to play Pokemon Go before. She's borrowed it. Okay. Right. So do I you don't think know she's got a problem with being addicted to this stuff. By the way. No. Well, I mean, we've had these. I'm seeing a pattern here. Addiction. Again, addiction, fundamentally, the definition of addiction has to be, at some point, it interferes with your life in a way that's detrimental. Mm. It has to be. Not necessarily. Because you're addicted to breathing. You're addicted to breathing. Well, addictions don't have to... Addictions don't have to necessarily have negative impacts. Yeah, they, they do. can have they positive impacts. They definitely have to. I don't reckon they have to. Otherwise, it's just a habit. Keep, keep going. I will look up the definition anyway, of addiction. The reason, the reason why... Uh, she was saying is because there's three different teams in Pokemon Go, which I remember. But what they do is they go to these like um, I've actually people are going to hate me because I can't remember all the names of these things. The gyms, right? Mm. And they'll battle them, but they'll sort of cycle through. So they'll go one team will win, then they'll get the other team to come in and win, and then the next team and just keep going through. And it, it gives them a lot of achievement points and all that kind of stuff, or experience points, I should say. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's the reason. Anyway, just circling back to Minecraft Earth, I was actually really shocked to see that this game, they're just going to close it down pretty abruptly. So seems like, yeah, it didn't really take off. It's um, pretty cool that they're giving anyone that's made a purchase, they're actually giving them access, uh, like a, a <laughs> copy of Minecraft Bedrock Edition. So I'm guessing these are mobile huh. users, so being, you know, obviously being played on the mobile, which is, look, they didn't have to do that. I think that's actually a really nice sentiment. So. What I did straight away when I saw that, I was like, oh, I'm going to download it and see if I can buy something for like a dollar in the game to get that. <laughs> but they shut down the fucking transactions already. <laughs> yeah, it seems like they have. Yeah. So damn that, it. that annoyed me because I was like, damn, I can get into this and get a free, co- well, like almost free copy of Bedrock. And anyone that's got remaining microtransactions, they will be, you're not getting money back, but you're at least getting something which is <laughs> uh, mine coins. Because that's honestly a lot of companies, that's just what happens when they shut the stuff down, which yeah. is common. Yeah. Um, you're getting mine coins that you can use on the Minecraft marketplace. So I guess buying skins in the Bedrock Edition and stuff like that. So And you'd think that like 80%, 50% minimum, people who have Minecraft Earth on their phone would already have Minecraft yeah, yeah. on their phone or somewhere else. So it's, yeah. Probably. It's, it's nice, but, you know, you kind of question. They probably have run the numbers and said, well, we're not going to lose that much on this. Yeah, <laughs> we're not going to yeah. take a bath on this. So, yeah, no surprise that they're closing it down so abruptly. But I guess it would cost a lot of money to keep it running if it's not. Well, that's the thing. Lots of money to probably for the servers. Mm. Lots of money probably for ongoing development. Yeah, and they won't, they just don't have the user base. Yeah. And that game Minecraft but you know what? It was so popular. So. But I think the problem is, you know, we didn't really know about it. We're into gaming. I, I, now that I think about it, I would have seen maybe one screen or one mention of it that I can recall. And that's it. So from a marketing perspective, what the hell were they doing? It's like it wasn't marketed at all. It's it's weird. I just don't think the for, game was for very good I, when it launched. Yeah, but so. for, for such an IP, the mm. fact that they didn't hype it, they didn't market it, they didn't do, do anything. Maybe they knew it wasn't going to be a great game and they just didn't bother marketing it. They knew it was mm. going to be a flop. So they just went, screw it. Let's just see how it goes. And if it doesn't, we'll just cull it off. Mm. It's a shame though. Achievements. Swinney always finds a way to work it into the run sheet because uh, he doesn't own the run sheet. So over to you, Swinney. So we've actually had one of the 
the, the strangest and kind of weirdest things happen probably in ever in achievements this week. So Microsoft has forced an indie publisher by the name of, I think, Zetillion to revert a whole lot of e- uh, achievement changes that they made fairly recently. So Zetillion has... So we're talking about... I'll just include the games right up front. So the games that are affected in what I'm in these changes that I'm mentioning there, it's Pixel Gladiator, Castle of Hellscape 1 and 2, Explorer of Night, Reactor X, Dark Grim, Mariopolis, and a game called Smart Move. So these are all very, very relatively unknown indie titles that, um, you know, were originally released on Steam and then they're put on on, uh, on Xbox. And likely, I think most of this stuff is on Switch as well. So what Zetillion had done was they basically made all the achievements, they changed the conditions to make them easy to unlock. And from mm-hmm. what I've heard, I haven't gone through the list myself because I don't care about any of these games, honestly, was um, I think they actually changed conditions completely. So let's say something was to complete 100 levels or something, they made it so you unlocked it by dodging an enemy five times. Like they made it ridiculously easy, but also a lot of the things actually completely different. And Microsoft oh. is forcing them change all the requirements back to how they were originally, stating that they had broken their achievements policy. So these requirements, uh, apparently they've been reverted as of um, yesterday, but I don't know if, like, this is, this is these are independent developers, so, you know, you never know how this stuff actually happens, but apparently they had to do it by, by the knife of Jan. And mm. the exact rule that, um, that apparently they've broken. So in Xbox's achievement policy, they've got a rule called <laughs> XR60, Modifying Active Achievements, which states, after an achievement has been published to users, it cannot be removed, nor can it unlock rules or rewards that can be changed. Um, but you can change like descriptions and things. So the interesting part of this is heaps of games have changed their requirements, whether or yeah. not whether or not they make them easier or they've changed them for different reasons. So some of the examples, so we've had Microsoft games like Sea of Thieves, Killer Instinct, and Project Spark change all their requirements. So um, Killer Instinct, for instance, I think had an achievement, achievements for winning 2,000 matches with char- different characters, and they changed it to 200 matches with mm. these different characters. Seems a bit more reasonable. Yeah, so look, no one's complaining about that, but I'm just giving the examples of where these where definitely like this rule is not as as you know 100% as you think it is then non Microsoft games so Dirt 5 has changed stuff Rainbow Six Siege has changed all their stuff Destiny 2 Paladins uh, Disintegration recently shut down its multiplayer servers and they changed all the achievements to make them uh, be able to un- be unlocked in the single player mode Charles HD now interesting thing with Charles HD they didn't change the change achievement itself which was, I think, the one we're talking about is when you had to complete. I don't know. You know, you remember this game very well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Got... It, it was the final level run without dying. The once. marathon Whoa. or something. The yeah. marathon. And I got and close they... to doing that. <laughs> yeah. I think I got it in like three or something like that. So, three so deaths. what's so what's interesting with Trials HD though is that they didn't change the enough. they didn't change the achievement. They just changed what was in that marathon, that series of levels. So there's lots of examples yes. where this stuff. Yes doesn't actually go against the rule because if you're changing the in-game content that still meets what the requirement is, it doesn't make a difference. So when we're Mm. talking about Sea of Thieves, for instance, a lot of the stuff around that was, well, they changed changed it to make it easy to get the items, but you still need to collect the same amount of items. 
but there mm. are definitely cases where it has been changed. So there are there's definitely cases where, you know, it has happened. But at the same time, like, so I'm going to put everyone to blast out on this stuff. Like, I think this every what's that subreddit? Uh, Am I the arsehole? Like, every, <laughs> yeah. everyone is here. Everyone <laughs> sucks here. And so it sucks by like this is Zatillion. From what I've heard, and I've read a lot into this, um, the games weren't selling that well, and they def- they saw a huge increase in sales by doing this. Interesting. So they, they made all the achievements really easy to unlock. Now, at the same time, there's rules that basically say you can add in title updates that are worth 1,000 points each, 1,000 game scores. So you think back in the original game Whoa, score really? days. So Just for one. They used to be one game. Some of these games have like... 3,000 achievements in them now, like point, points. So, and in total, these oh. games take like 30 minutes to an hour to complete. <laughs> so this this publisher, honestly, is is just, they're, they're, they're horrible. Like this stuff just devalues people that are into this hobby. No, that they're, love not, them. they're not horrible. I, no. Like, I'm going to defend something, right? Like, no, they're I'm... not horrible. Change the rules of the system. Don't, don't, don't hate the player. Hate the game, man. <laughs> yeah. No, so I'm saying I think they're horrible. <laughs> Because it developed for me, it like as soon as this stuff started happening quite early on, like this is not a new thing. Uh, a lot of these developments are new, but like this has just essentially meant that gamer score means very little. Like the amount of gamer score these days, <laughs> gamer scores already means very little. Well, leave your comments to yourself then. <laughs> so, can, can I just say something, Swinny? So, like, with that, I actually wish, and I've said this many times, not so much on the podcast, but to you, I just wish that it actually did run like a system a bit like True Achievements, where your achievement score was a dynamic number and it depended on what you unlocked, but then it also depended on how many people had unlocked that. So, well, that, if you've unlocked something mm, that's very rare, yeah. that's worth. 20 times the points of something like this that is super unlockable. And I think that if you just did that, that simple change of making it so that your score is just totally dependent on what everyone else does, then a lot of these things just get eliminated. Because, yeah, you buy this game, but eventually the... So, so basically true achievements actually incorporated by Microsoft. Yeah. that would Which have... would make perfect sense. I just think that... Sorry, you go, Sony. I think I know what you're going to say. I'll say that would require Microsoft and Xbox to actually give a crap about achievements, and they have not for <laughs> exactly. A long time. They have not. They didn't care about the number they got the of Hall of Fame that they cared about a lot and very carefully yeah, and, and diligent. And they've added, they've they added extra things to it, so you're right. But I think I think he was could... he was being he was joking, by the way. So they haven't how, how many... they haven't added anything. Like they've not done anything since the Xbox <laughs> no, One they've... launch. And how long really? ago was uh, that? They've not oh, done. Okay, anything. maybe that's the last time I, I thought about it. Yeah, no, but I thought I thought there were like that they've added daily achievement things, and you you get you get those Microsoft points or whatever it is by unlocking so X they, amount of achievements per added, day or doing so. I they, thought they added stuff like that. So they haven't added daily achievement stuff. What they've done is they added quests to Game Pass. Yeah, that okay. may or may not be that associated to achievements. It. So, like oh, some okay, of it's gotcha, like gotcha, install a game, five okay. games from the Xbox. Like a lot of it aren't related. Man, I'm so out of the loop. You know, from someone who was a diehard Xbox fan, well, was totally into into Xbox. I still have, unfortunately, a photo of me somewhere in the internet from the launch of the Xbox One. With me holding it above my head, that made it to like <laughs> news.com.au or something. Really. Yeah, I it's on this. So, oh God, if you're, 
Shit. If you're out of the loop, maybe maybe let me finish this story and then we yes, can... Yes, please finish. Wait, wait, no, 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 that's fair Whoa. enough. That's fair, that is fair enough because I, wow. I have been... I stopped at like 130,000 and I reassessed my life and what, what am I doing with it? All right, go on, sweetie, um, go on. Wait, just, just quickly on that point, I think one of the... I'd imagine one of the reasons why they don't do this is because the amount of moderation required to to so so obviously you know the achievement website how many moderators are on there it must be a whole bunch right to kind of decide the weight of something or is it fully algorithm based it's where fully, no one really has fully to touch finger algorithm based oh wow okay so then yeah something they could totally implement yeah there's times when they may need to you know rework stuff but anyway so getting back to Zatillion so they. They've had to revert all these changes, so it's too late now for for anyone. That... Uh, sorry, I think he found it. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. You got to see this, Swinney. Okay. Go on, sorry, go on. <laughs> so, and this leads me back to uh, just to finish. Like, so I think both Zatillion are, are, are terrible for exploiting the system and devaluing achievements, but also mm. Microsoft is honestly. Like, they've got a lot of double standards with this stuff. But the biggest, hugest double standard is another Xbox rule, right? That mm-hmm. says, under XR55, that all achievements in the title must be achievable. So if they're holding Zatillion, you know, accountable for that other rule, the amount of games that have broken achievements that no one has ever unlocked means that they're, they're, this whole achievement policy is just completely void. Like... Hmm. It's ridiculous. It's ever since they they what was it? Um, they allowed self publishing on on Xbox One, which you think in in theory is a great idea. Suddenly, the amount of games that had like the quality control issues. There's games that just you just can never complete because they'll never they they glitched, including Microsoft's own published titles like Wasteland Three. Now that may get hmm. patched. It's still a fairly new game, but yeah, in, in exile or in exile, however you pronounce them, they're such a dodge, they're, they're such a flaky developer. Like their games are so glitchy. So if you're going to uphold the other rule, you need to uphold all the rules. It's ridiculous. So yeah, I agree. The oh, by lo- the way, we're not saying they're a flaky developer. They're just oh, flaking it- their development when it comes to achievements. I just no, they've they've games are buggy in every regard. <laughs> yeah, but I mean flaky, you know, when you call someone flaky. You're like, shut up, Mike. <laughs> yeah, shut up, Mike. Mike. So the last thing I was just gonna say about this was you know that game that I was I mentioned at the top of the show that I was playing, Nexoria Dungeon Rogue Heroes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one. So, so I completed that. So I had two completions, right? Yesterday. Yesterday oh, they added a thousand more gamer score. What? In a title For update. What? To that game that I just completed this week, in the same week I was going to talk about this bloody story. For what? Like, what did they add? Just like a giant DLC that's bigger than the original game? What did they add? They to added it? a thousand points for doing something that's going to take me twenty minutes. Oh well, nice. I mean, that's good. No, I'm not. I'm but... not saying it's going to be hard to do, but it's just like, man, like, what the hell is going on with this? Like, that's why I'm yeah. all for Microsoft clamping down on this crap, as much as they have well, yeah. double standards. Yeah. Because oh, it, like, it, it's I, being abused. It's being abused. It's a bad policy. But, it's a bad policy. The policy should be written not so explicitly. It needs to be more with intent. Like the intent is to have your achievements spread out across the game, that it mirrors completing the game and the challenges that are within the game, right? I think yeah, that's, but... that's what people think of when achievements, not 
I boot the game up, I jump around a bit, and I get a thousand gamer score. Like that's. But I don't know, like it, it isn't the intention, I guess. But if you're a developer, shouldn't you be the one that ultimately has a say? Why do you want people to achieve in your game? Like sure, why but, would but, Microsoft? I mean, they are the platform holder. They can decide how they want to structure these things. Of course they do, but I'm saying why Why do they, in the end, why do they particularly care? Like if, if I come out with a game right now and I have the lamest, easiest achievements, like 100 points to just press A to start the game, what's it to them? I don't get it. Well, think about this, Mike. If for people that, because I don't hunt for, it sounds weird, I don't hunt for gamer score. I hunt no, but no, I, it's true. No, you I don't, don't. Yeah. like not gamer score itself. No, no, I, no, you don't. You don't. I hunt no. for achievements, like unlocking and completing a game's achievements, not for the value of what those mean. I don't even know what yeah. my game score is, right? Because it's so because it's so big, it's it, astronomical now. You can't no, even measure it anymore. That's what she said. It's so meaningless these days. <laughs> and the thing is, there's a lot of people that still do that, and suddenly, and a lot of people in the achievement community don't like these kind of games, like because you have to buy them. No, it's not that. They don't like the fact that suddenly it's just becoming it's just becoming like it it's it's changed everything. But why do right? they why do they care in in the achievement community where the actual score is irrelevant anyway? It's the the index score that counts. Why would they even give well, a shit? Because those those games will have like the tiniest shit of score. Not everyone so. cares about their true achievement score. I was saying like people want different things, but the last yeah. thing I'll say is that the the just think about it, a lot of those people like suddenly if if that stuff isn't isn't valuable to them they'll they won't care anymore and they might go buy a playstation mm. you know like it does matter to those people i think microsoft yeah, but from like one or two games because i don't what, what i'm trying to say here is that i think microsoft are overthinking this because it's not like every developer that comes out is going to put the easiest but, achievements but it's a in slippery games. it's a slippery i don't think they'll do that no it's a slippery slope though because if one indie developer mm. re- and it's already happened that game i m- mentioned nexoria is not yeah. made, is not published by this de- publisher they yeah look just I, sorry just to I say feel like it's they, rare no just to just to give some clarity there's a, a mm. youtube uh, channel called i think it's chivo gaming they actually connected these two de- the developer that made nixoria to the the publisher zatillion or, or one of the developers of those mm. games and then showed them how to do this and it's a slippery slope because suddenly if wow. one, one indie developer making these games that aren't selling well realizes that they can sell a lot more games by doing this, then you're going to see a lot more of this stuff happening. So if that's not clamped down, it could definitely um, become a wider issue for okay, people to care final about. final question. What's the ultimate negative impact on the end consumer, though? Well, are we talking about like, the end the consumer deal? in general or the end consumer that cares about achievements? The end consumer in general, as as well, like it doesn't matter you know, to generically, the... not subcategories. I'm talking about like as a, as a greater thing. Is it a negative thing that all of a sudden you get easier achievements, or is no, it like those people aren't playing these games anyway, so it doesn't really honestly affect them? It's affecting okay. a niche group, but these achievements are a niche thing in general. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. See, as someone who I, I guess it's 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 a matter of perspectives here. As someone who isn't into achievements now, but used to be into achievements. I would be like, hell yeah, it's easy to get these achievements. Thanks, developer. <laughs> like, I wouldn't see it as a negative thing personally because in the end, if I give a shit about getting a bigger score, the easier you make that for me, the better. So I'm happy with that because I don't sit there thinking, oh my God, my 135,000 or whatever it is at the moment, like a few of those were very dodgily obtained. I feel like I'm, I'm, 
I'm a fraud. You but know, then, I, I'm, they're not worth 130,000. I'm like, I don't give a shit. The more, the more I get, the better. But it, no, make it easy for me. But then it goes back to what Intergot was, was saying, and I kind of cut him off. So sorry about that. Was then it just became, becomes a money, uh, a money thing of who, who has the money to buy as many games. Hmm, That's all it becomes. You just and what's buy, the problem with that buy. though? But, but again, for it's an end, paying end consumer for, who, who paying, can... No, because then it's like, it's just like, It's an okay. arms race. It's an yeah, arms race. Yeah. Then, an arms, then, but who cares? What maybe, I'm saying is no, who cares? Like, it's a free because, market. If people want to, if people want to waste money because they're stupid enough to waste $20 just to get a thousand points on a game, let them do it. Who gives a shit? But no, Mike, the people Mike. that care about achievements care. No, Clearly like, you don't, so you're not going to care about it. I understand that. So you're you're offended and pissed off that other people <laughs> can pay to get achievements? I'm Why? Not so Who much, cares? I'm not pissed off. I'm not a fan of it, but the, there are people that are pissed off that well, it's... Well, them. Who gives... No, sorry. just think... <laughs> Who cares? Just think, just put no, just think about it. It's like, like, it's like printing money. Suddenly... If you're able to just do it like that, it becomes worthless. And that's what it happens. Well, it loses work. We kind of do that in society already. We do print money. When we need anyway, Mike, let's Mike, move Mike, on from this can I, story. Can I, just, can I just say one thing? So <laughs> it's not a free market. It's a closed market. It's Microsoft's choice of however they want to structure these things, right? And yeah. I, I think, yes, if someone comes on board and has got really bad achievements, Microsoft isn't doing enough work to check that. They're not. It's just a fact. But... In this case, it's flagrant because it, they had the achievement set up in one way and then they've obviously manipulated it systematically across all their games to make it very easy to then have a big sales bump. And I do also get your point. Yeah. It's like, Which I cares? think is brilliant. Who who cares, cares, right? Because they win, Microsoft me, wins... Gamers win. Yeah, Everyone Microsoft, wins. Microsoft's made a decision. They own the platform. Yeah, they I, can do I, whatever I get they that. want, ultimately. But here's right? the thing, right? All I'm saying is it's positive for everyone. It, it's in, not in terms of, yeah, It pisses no, no, no. a few people Mike, off, whatever. It's not but positive. It is. Think about it. Why not? How much, do, how much do people care about Steam achievements? I don't know because I don't very little. No one cares Zero. about them because from the beginning, well, they didn't have... Gordon a, does. All right. Let me finish... From the beginning, <laughs> they didn't anyone. have any controls, and then you had this stuff happening, and way worse. And then suddenly, mm. it's just a meaningless thing, right? It does. It doesn't mean anything to anyone, rather than meaning something to at least a small group of people that are into this. Oh, look, I agree, but I think I think the game library and the vetting required to get a game onto Xbox is a little bit different. There's a lot more, let's call it, trash available on Steam. Apparently, where this, developers have more free they range. Don't whereas, the by the way, like. apparently, this publishing. No, no, pop- I'm talking about achievements. I'm talking about games. Like to to get a game published onto Xbox, I feel like it's. It needs to be a better game than just the random trash available on on Steam. By the way, I have so heard you're... that this, and I don't know if it's one hundred percent confirmed. This publisher actually got booted from Steam for for dodgy practices as well. Wow. Okay. Well, which, that is okay. impressive. But what, what I'm saying <laughs> is, is there's there's other checks in place on Xbox to stop widespread abuse of something like this, in the sense that you're not just going to get any random developer with the shittest game releasing it there just to you know make a quick buck and and do some stupid achievements i think i think en mass most of the time developers will do the right thing you might get a few idiots that slip through there but it's not like steam where you get literally so much junk on there it's insane what i'm trying to get to the point is that holistically with that in mind the developer benefits because they get more sales microsoft benefits because they get more sales gamers benefit because they get easy achievements so like from a holistic sort of benefit model 
I don't think, you know, just because there's a few sour apples or a few people who hate it or a few people who abuse it a little bit, it's a big deal. Like, I think most people gain out of something like this. Not well, the, I'll, not give the, the, not I'll give the, the last word to Swinney. I'll give not, the last word to Swinney. The community okay. doesn't gain because... It's a good debate. A, the community doesn't gain because essentially gamer score value itself is almost meaningless these days because of that. And Correct. that's not just because of this stuff. As soon as they made it that any game gives you a thousand achievement points, that whether or not it's a, tight, a game that you complete in like an hour or a game that takes 60 hours, right? It's it's been devalued for a long time, but this is this is the almost the tipping point. So I'm glad it's been clamped down. And look to to confirm, like to agree with what you're saying, Mike, that it doesn't ultimately achievements don't mean anything, right? But for the people that achievements that do care about achievements, it does matter a lot to these people that essentially mm. a lot of the a lot of what they do as a hobby and you know as an addiction does actually. Has is getting devalued by this practice, but it's, it's we're not going to see the end of this. But Get another hobby. Yeah, look, it's probably not bad advice, but um, yeah, it's I, it's just a yeah story. I didn't think we'd have a big debate about it, but <laughs> no, but this is really good. This is the kind of stuff that I love <laughs> to right, talk right. about. All right, and I almost prefer to talk about this because it it brings out different perspectives, <laughs> and and I know that it might polarize certain people, but I think someone, so hopefully, someone listening to this can kind of get two different perspectives on the same thing from two different people. Mm. And I think that's actually a really cool thing instead of just, yeah, here's the thing. We, we all agree with it. Great. Next. Cool. So hopefully, ho- hopefully people got something out of this little debate. Cool. And it's not the end of it, Swinney. <laughs> I will write a thesis on this. <laughs> all right. All right. It was, it's a serious story. The next one. Um, so, in really sad news, and I just like heard about this mm. yesterday because my wife is a massive, massive fan of Tetris, uh, that uh, there was the passing of Jonas Neubauer. So for those who don't know, Jonas is like, to me, the best player of classic Tetris ever. Uh, and I think he'd be regarded as that. And that's not to say, I guess, currently uh, with the new strategies on how people play classic Tetris, um, maybe, you know, he'd have to be adapting his play style. But yeah, it's a really, really sad news. So was announced by his wife, Heather, uh, on social media. And just like hearing a bit of more of the backstory, it was literally that uh, they'd both moved to Hawaii to settle there just a few weeks ago. Uh, and then, yeah, he literally just uh, fell over and, yeah, he passed away. Like just really Age 38. Yeah, age 38. So he's like around Which our is age. pretty much what we are. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so really, really sad news. Uh, you know, condolences to Heather and the family mm. of Jonas. He's a really, really cool guy. Really, really nice guy. You know, I was really into watching a lot of the classic Tetris world champion uh, battles. Like, it was really, really cool. And he, he really was the person who revitalized that whole scene. Like, classic Tetris really didn't have anything going for it for a large period of time. But you just had this one guy, this bartender who was dominating for a period of time. And it really, like, it, it caused a real cool scene to develop around it, you know, um, to the point where people have discovered new techniques on how to play classic Tetris on the NES. And I won't go into the details, but mm-hmm. essentially there's a way that you input buttons to make your inputs go faster. Whoa. And now, from a strategy point of view, you pretty much have to play Tetris like that on the NES to be competitive at this high level. So... You know, he was one of the real drivers of, you know, putting 
a torch out there and, you know, uh, you, you know, that whole metaphor around putting that light on the hill and then people were like, okay, I'm going to try to get to this guy's level because he just was better than everyone else for, you know, a seven-year stretch. It was really, really crazy. Uh, so as I said, you know, from our little community, condolences to Heather and the family. It was really, really sad news, really abrupt news. Um, and, yeah, yeah, just... You know, it it kind of just puts a lot of things in perspective. Where yeah. you go, wow, this guy's like our age, and he died all of a sudden out of nowhere. Yeah, this so, is wow. this is wild. I was just thinking um, yesterday that obviously we know twenty twenty was one of the roughest years probably in many people's lives uh, for different reasons. But mm. it just felt like we knew obviously nothing was going to be like okay. Suddenly it's all it's all roses when we hit the new year. We know that's not the way it works, but oh, it, it just made me think of the idea of if if twenty twenty was a car crash, this this and a, and the like basically like the passing of of Brody Lee, John Huber, the wrestler, and Alexis Leho, I think it is the front man for Children Bodom, just all within the last couple of weeks. It's like. 2020 was a car crash and then it just someone just comes on kicks you in the balls at the end of it when you're lying on the ground hmm. it's just like yeah. just the final the final just like kicking the nuts basically so yeah, it, it's like, it yeah. totally sucks it totally you're in sucks. a car crash and then someone calls you and goes oh your house is burnt down mate yeah do you know about nice. it it's like what yeah. yeah for me like my favorite rapper mf doom oh yeah MF doom. like died i was like what like and also he died on halloween last year it's like no one announced it but yeah, it's you know I think that's something beautiful about how optimistic humans are as a as a species. Just hmm. you know the year changes as if that makes any difference to makes the zero difference. environment. But it's it's beautiful to me that people are like that's a yeah, new year. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I don't think it's beautiful. I think it's it's a bullshit illusion that people need to get out <laughs> of and and get realistic because they keep disappointing themselves every single time. And I think that level of disappointment is just not healthy. If you're like, realistic about it. Okay, let, let me put things into perspective as well. My uncle died a year ago, just over a year ago, like a year and, I don't know, a month ago. It was right before Christmas, I think on the 23rd of December, if I'm not mistaken. Last, well, second last year now, technically. Um, and, like, I, I'm in the same sort of boat. It's, it's you know, it, it's weird to get it right in my head and to think, oh, another year passes and everything's going to, you know be different and change, but it doesn't. It's just, but you got to be realistic about that stuff. People need hope and optimism though, you know. They do, some, but it doesn't work hope, for a lot of people. Well, they they hope that it works, but it doesn't. No, but it's not always about what it ends up being. It's about something to get you through, having that hope to get you through. And I think yeah, that's potentially, a lot of what but, it is. Wouldn't you kinda, wouldn't it be kind of more realistic to go... I'm talking. I'm talking contextually just about this whole. It's a new year, new me. Hashtag wow, whatever. Isn't it a bit more realistic to go? Hey, this is a temporary thing within a temporary amount of time that you know will pass. This whole thing will disappear. Like, like take take so the whole it's a COVID very thing. Nihilistic one way or another. Way of thinking. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I'm not. No, I'm not saying will pass as in I will die one day. Nothing like that. But I'm saying if you take if you take COVID for example, it's not like you can uh, say maybe, 2020 was shit. 2021 is going to be better. It doesn't work like that. I, the way it works. I'm wondering is, maybe we this should. This whole thing will get better eventually. I'm yeah. thinking maybe we should move Within on because we, we're, we're, we're about celebrating yeah. the life of this Tetris legend. Jonas we are, and well, I, I so. hope this Tetris legend gets to meet the Tetris God and he will be given all the line pieces he deserves. 
That's great. Yeah, and maybe we should just uh, sign it off. Not that you guys will know this, but uh, a very classic statement in all these uh, battles was uh, "Boom, Tetris for Jonas." That was a that was a little <laughs> thing that they would always say, and it was really awesome. Uh, you should check out the videos; they're really really cool. All right, okay. let's go into my favorite segment of every single week: the bargain bin for the week commencing. Now I have to put another edit mark. Thanks, Mike. Um, no, I said, bar- what do you mean? I just said bunga- bargain hunter. I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't swear. No, no, it's fine. I just said you're a bargain hunter. So let's, let's get it back what on track. What do you think so I said? Let's get it back on track. So the Epic, Epic Game Store this week has Crying Sons. So they've gone back to their normal weekly free games. And next week, we did have it in the show notes, so you are seeing it on the video. Uh, next week... They have Battle... F- now I've like, forgotten the name. Battlefront 2, is that right? <laughs> I, thought that was, I thought you'd just skip it. So Star Wars Battlefront 2, um, yeah. uh, some collection, like a special version of it. So. Ah. Yeah, no, so I'm nice. definitely going to play that. So if you guys want to jump into that... Yeah, I'll jump on. Yeah, cool. Cool. Nah. you will. Just yeah. remind me to get nah. it because yeah, I yeah. Nah. forget about that stuff. You'll play it next weekend. No deal. Um, no deal. It's fine. not an RPG. No exactly, deal. Exactly, exactly. Not even for 10 minutes. He, doesn't want to, he, he wants us to buy the game and then not play it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's gonna be pretty. Well, good hang on. By the way, do you know he 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 doesn't skip a beat with getting these achievements? I know he uses his phone to play his Xbox when he's on the toilet. Of course, to make sure he doesn't miss any moment of getting before. those achievements. He said that before. Okay, All right, let's let's try sure. to get back on track because we are running long. Uh, Nintendo Switch. That's what she said. So the highlights that we have are Crash Team Racing Nitro Field is 50% off, $35 until the 12th of Jan. Akami HD, which I took advantage of. I should say Akami HD, if you look at every platform, this is pretty much the cheapest it's been available. So $15. Crazy, isn't it? So I would definitely get on that. It's a really cool game that so far I've played. I know it's got a good rep. PlayStation, Lords of the Fallen, it's <sighs> uh, 84% off, $4. Awesome game. Get it. Uh, definitely Swinney has added this one. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Eyes of Heaven, 85% off, which is $15. Yada yada and... does it. <laughs> Wait, Grand... so that game is normally 100 bucks? I guess 99 Yeah, okay. Grand wow. Kingdom, 90% off, which is $7.60. I'll hand over to the Xbox Shill Swinney to cover the Xbox ones. <laughs> Shill away. Okay, so <laughs> the bunch of Game Pass editions. So Injustice, uh, available now is Injustice 2 on console and PC. Uh, eFootball Pro Evolution Soccer 2021 season update on console. And The Little Acre on console, which looks pretty cool. Uh, some additions on the 14th of Jan are Torchlight 3 on console, which I've heard mixed things about, but I will play eventually. Uh, Neoverse on PC. What Remains of Edith Finch on PC? And yeek, 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 yeek. <laughs> why? I would like to see you butcher why? something. It's not hey, me. Oh, uh, look. Why IIK in capitals, a postmodern RPG on PC. That's who knows how to pronounce that. And mm, postmodern RPG, that sounds interesting. And one uh, one uh, late edition on 26th of Jan is Project Winter on console, which is a social deception game or whatever, they, like an Among Us style game, but it looks cool. Um, hmm. So, some removals. There's no date that I could find, but it's expected to be 15th of Jan from what I've read. Oh, I have seen it say 15th of Jan. Okay. Somewhere. So Tekken 7 on console, Sword Art Online Fatal Bullet on console, my friend Pedro on console, and FTL Fast and Light on PC. So some actually some big games there, leaving Game Pass. And a final update, uh, so it was announced that Killer Queen Black was being added sometime in January. Um, I think it was meant to have been added by now, actually, so that got pushed back and is delayed until later in Q1 this year. 
Cool. Yeah, and, and I should just say that we still haven't got an update on, because I'm more the Xbox Game Pass PC player, we still haven't got an update on when the EA games are coming out to PC. And hmm. I now expect that to be months and months away. It was meant to be mid-December. Months away? Why would it be? Why would it take that long, I reckon? There must be some massive issue that they've hmm. come across. Um, I find it to be a bit weird when you log into games. I, I installed Final Fantasy VII the other day, because that's on my Dirty Dozen list for this year. And... I don't know, it was really janky at the start just to get it working with the firewalls and everything. you got to link your Xbox account, all that kind of stuff. So mm. I don't I know, maybe have, they've had some issue. I didn't have any issues there. So I played that recently, so I don't know what's yeah, going on. Yeah, no, but I think that's the thing about PC, right? It's With Xbox, you've got five SKUs or whatever it is to worry about. With PC, it's all the different configurations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got Come a lot nuts. of like security on my system so that things can't just edit folders randomly, you know? So I have to approve them before they work, but some okay. programs don't manage that well. So I'll have to sometimes install programs twice to make sure it works. Huh. Um, so yeah, yeah. So, so I'm not going to mention again, but like we haven't heard any news. When we do hear news, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you. Out. Yeah. So just a, another quick shout out because it wasn't on the run sheet and I totally forgot about it. EB Games have an interesting little sale at the moment. If mm-hmm. you can find stock, they have a whole bunch of games starting at 95 cents. So as an example, Mass Effect Andromeda, I think on both platforms, brand new is 95 cents. There's a whole bunch of other games that start at 95. Um, quite a few that sort of go up to about the $10 mark or the $9 mark, which are quite good. Again, stock pending. One thing I found quite interesting, though, is I went to my local EB and I wanted to get a whole bunch of copies of Mass Effect Andromeda. Don't ask why. And a little project <laughs> that I wanted to do. Scalping. Building and a they spaceship had, out of them. Trust me, definitely not scalping. I don't think anyone wants to buy them. <laughs> what I found uh, kind of weird, I sort of get why they do it, but it was still kind of weird, especially the explanation that I was given, is they didn't have any brand new copies for $0.95. Cents, but they had a whole bunch of pre-owned copies for $9. And I said, hey can I just price match a pre-owned copy with a brand new copy? And they go, no, no, we're only trying to clear out the brand new copies. And I'm like, why would, like, what's the logic? I couldn't, could not figure out. Obviously that person didn't know they're not head office, but I don't quite get the logic of why they'll be willing to clear out brand new copies of all these games. And not just that, that's just one example. There's quite a few for 95 cents yet not do the same thing for the pre-owned ones. Like what are they actually trying to get rid of? It's weird. Well, I just quickly on that, so, having worked at a video game store, I've seen a little bit about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, pulling back that card out now. Oh, he <laughs> always what, pulls it out, yeah. This is true, though. What happens is, with the publisher and the distributors, they have relationships and targets and sales and rebates. So, they've probably got some crazy rebate with EA on uh. Andromeda. That would not apply to used copies because used of copies, course, yeah. they've paid for them. That's in their yeah. inventory. You know, that's stock that they're holding and losing. That's what it so. might be, actually. Yeah, because you're right. And I know some of the FIFA games and stuff are in special as well. So, mm. yeah. Interesting. So they, okay. Yeah, they probably want... Because they also don't want games like that sitting on the shelves when the new Mass Effect comes out because that confuses consumers and... You know, maybe they do also don't think it's a great game. So they just want the, the trilogy. Maybe it hasn't been selling, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, go check it out. Quite a few. Oh, and, and sort of gaming related, of course, uh, puzzles and stuff like that. So I got an, <laughs> um, 
I got a Breath of the Wild. Hang on, it's gamer related. No, I got a Breath of the Wild. No, you know there is a run puzzle. sheet. You can put this information yeah, I, I, in. I know, but I totally forgot about it. We're running We're running I legit forgot about it. But anyway, to... puzzles and all this other cool shit. There's like a there's like a, a Mario Cup that I bought. I'll show you guys next okay, week. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I know the power one that you're talking bought about. Bought so much. The power one, yeah. Anyway, bought so much trash. Let's I'm move an idiot. Because it's it's long and there I'm addicted to buying shit. Okay. All right. Let's get into our Donkey Kong Country 3 retrospective. So this is a part of a series. So we've already done Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy's Kong Quest. And now we're on to Donkey Kong Country 3. So this is all aligned to when the games are available on Nintendo Switch Online. So the SNES offering. So you can play all these games if you have a Switch and a Nintendo Switch Online service. So Swinney, how do you want to break this all up? Because uh, Mike hasn't played this game and he is now going to play... I believe the messenger and the video if people are following along on the video. Um, well, first of all, just wanted to just say that, look, this game came out in uh, 1996, November 1996, mm. so really late in the SNES lifetime. The 64 was was already out um, and later got a port to the Game Boy Advance in 2005, but it's very different. Like, they changed a lot of things, you know. The overworld map is very different. There's different mini games. Just... So I almost think I think of it as a different game, but I followed the Wikipedia format and said that it is available on SNES, Game Boy Advance, and as we said, the Switch Online. Uh, so developed by Rare, published by Nintendo. So I've got... And, and just quickly, like the game... So we're not covering the Game Boy Advance no, version. No, definitely we, pro- we should say, though, the Game Boy Advance version has a lot... Like out of all the Game Boy Advance, so don't confuse it with Donkey Kong Land, hmm. where Donkey Kong Land are like... Another separate game trilogy on the Game Boy. The Game Boy Advance games took the SNES games, but they actually did modify them a bit. Mm. And Donkey Kong Country Three was a lot, and they introduced a whole new world. And that's why yeah, it's so that's didn't why play any of that. That's why the fact that Wikipedia has them listed on the same page, I think, is a misnomer. Like, I think it's the, it's such a different version of the game. Um, if anything, Donkey Kong Land Three, which I'm very familiar with, I play through mm. a game, got completed all the time trials, is actually almost closer in some ways. Um, so it's, yeah, but Donkey Kong Country 3, so we've mentioned it before when we talked about Donkey Kong Country 1 and Donkey Kong Country 2. This is, you know, upfront is easily my favourite in the series. It always has been since, you know, first played number three. Um, but we know that a lot of people, for a lot of people, number two is the classic, is the one that's like, okay, this is the epitome of the Donkey Kong Country series. So it's going to be interesting to get your take on it for someone that didn't really play through it all completely back in the day. Yeah, and I I played it, I think maybe your house, but I played a little bit of it, but I never really played through it back in the day. And then, you know, through the years, booted it up, played it a bit, but never... Never had the ob- obligation, quote unquote, but I do feel obligated. Um, never had the obligation to play through the whole thing. And I'm so glad that we did this. Like we had to play through this whole trilogy. So I've obviously owned DKC2. Love that game so much. Still think it's one of the best games on the SNES. Uh, and having played this game and then also the first one, which I, I think I'd played through the first one a bit, but I didn't really like it that much. Uh, yeah, it, it it was really, really interesting. And, you know, maybe we'll loop back at the end of our final thoughts on the whole trilogy before we move on to the, the Wii and the Wii U games. Yeah, and just starting with, you know, I've, I've got my notes here that mm. to me, 
so this game, you're, you've got Dixie Kong and you've got Kitty Kong. So while Kitty Kong is kind of similar to Donkey Kong in some ways, they've, it's got there's cool new mechanics and just something about the the controls in this game just feel just so super tight and precise for me. It just feels super smooth. Like it, they've Donkey the chain the move from Donkey Kong Country One to Donkey Kong Country Two was just huge, right? They went from oh yeah, super, that, that was the biggest. Yeah, they are oh, yeah, like easily like they went from janky hitboxes and and <laughs> you know and controls and controls and controls to you know this really great great smooth experience. And I just think that they've just and and it makes sense. It's the third in the series. They iterate it and just uh, to me just smoothed out some of those remaining rough edges, and it just. To me, this game plays like a dream, with the exception of um, the the one, the, my most hated level in the game, which is, I think it's Toboggan, Tearaway Toboggan. That still has oh, a... Oh, re- you didn't like that either. Yeah. No, because to me, it has, there's, that still has a wonky hitbox. It's like the the biggest thing, when, I, when we're talking about hitboxes, that's the biggest thing that I found in the game. And I always thought that, like... You would land on an enemy and just with the back of the toboggan, if you're on a slight angle, it would hit you. And it's like, nah, that doesn't feel fair. That's very similar to Donkey Kong Country 1, where you'd hit a um, one of the, the clap traps and you're like, wait, I landed on that thing and it hurt yeah. me. But just the to me, the thing that one of the things I didn't like in Donkey Kong Country 2 is that they used a lot of climbing sections where you're climbing vertical ropes and a lot of that stuff didn't feel as smooth. We talked about it when we did that did retrospective. It didn't feel as smooth as it should be. And they've kind of almost removed a lot of that stuff and they've replaced it with a lot of hanging ropes. So you like hanging vertically from stuff. And it just feels great. So it's like they've said, well, we still want this different kind of traversal options, but we want to make it in a way where it doesn't feel like it's slowing people down. Like this is, mm. I haven't watched any AGDQ runs or speed runs of this game, but this game feels like it would be great to speed run because it doesn't really slow you down very much. And, and just on the controls, because I I also, you know, just following along with your format, I, I'd place the controls along with, you know, just the mechanics of the characters. Mm. For, for me, the controls, 100% in DKC1, uh, the controls themselves are very slippery and not non not non responsive. That's the wrong way to say it, but it just felt you know, especially with the hitboxes, that was probably the biggest problem with the game. Hmm. Very janky. Uh, I, I think that this game has superior controls to DKC two. I think it's very close, and I don't think it's one of those ones where it's you know, anything to do compared to DKC one to DKC two, that was a monumental change in how tight the controls were. This was better. Like I'd concede that, but for me, the mechanics of the characters themselves. So you've got Dixie Kong again, obviously, but with Kitty Kong versus Diddy Kong, I felt just the movement of the characters in DKC two, the mechanics themselves were just so much better. And it's just, it's more of a character thing for me. Well, yeah. So, Kitty Kong has, to me, the coolest mechanic in in, in probably the entire series. Oh yeah, what which is that? water skipping. So it's a mechanic. Oh, I didn't even know what that exactly. was. Exactly, it's a mechanic that they don't put in your face, but it's required to get some of the secrets. Oh. So if you've noticed, a bunch of the water levels have a bunch of the levels have water where it's only going up to like a third of the screen. Yeah, or it will scroll down a bit. If you roll as Kitty Kong onto the water and you time your button presses each time he hits the surface of the water, he bounces and he he gets higher. Oh. So it's, and I don't, I'm not saying that 
it's it's something that it, to me it's it's cool and it's great and it's really cool for speed runs and everything but because it's not required in the game and they don't tell you about it then it's understandable someone wouldn't wouldn't realize it's there but that's why i love um kitty kong so much is because of that mechanic like otherwise he's basically almost identical to donkey kong in some ways with just as I said better controls and hitbox i do you know diddy kong's role and his movement is is great but the thing i really like is they the two characters feel very different whereas i think with donkey kong country 2 which i love diddy and dixie other than um the the head, the propeller head like which is great obviously it's very different um they're still very small like the small characters so i like having the dynamic mm. of of this um, it, it is a case where a lot of the levels you just want to play as Dixie Kong because it's just easier to get around. But um... yeah, I would always find myself starting with Kitty Kong because you know most people would know, but just for those that don't, with Donkey Kong Country, the whole mechanic, the life mechanic, really is your character, and if they die, you you know they're gone. But you have two characters if you've got your full complement. So essentially, you got two hits before you're dead. Um, but they have different mechanics. So I would often pretty much start the level as Kitty, go as far as the way through. And then if I died, then I'd have Dixie, which is sort of, to me, the superior character. Because you've got like a storm mechanic with the propeller, which yeah. I think to me is the best mechanic in the game. Yeah, but it, to me, it just doesn't feel as cool as bouncing along the water. Like that just feels cool when you do it. Like, <laughs> I didn't even know you could do when, that. If, so. you, if you do go back and, and try to, you know, get some more completion, I ended up getting about, I think, 88%. So I completed all the... Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I played deep. a bit more. I ended up, I got all the bonuses and we'll talk about secrets a bit, but I got all the bonuses and secrets in the main game and just had, I was up to like doing stuff in the secret areas. But the... The one thing I don't like about this game is, and I did get this a bit with Donkey Kong Country 2, but I felt it a lot more in this one, was the tag mechanic, which you, I think, is hitting the select button uh, or, the select min- button, yeah. or the minus button on the Switch. Um, and to clarify, yeah, I, I played the Switch Online version as well, which is, will yeah. be important for a note later for me, um, is half the time it just doesn't seem to work. Like, you just must, you have to be in such a specific situation, and I guess it's the position of the character so they can physically tag. But yes, there's times correct. when I'm like, oh man, I just like need to position, keep repositioning himself <laughs> just to swap the characters. And that to me, that's there's no benefit that, to that at all. Like that should just be yeah, a hap- nice quick change, you know? Happened to me a few times at the start and then I just realized, okay, I need pretty good clearance on both sides to be able to switch. But it does cause issues where there's some platforms you land on, you can't switch players really. Yeah. Like you have to really finesse it to be able to get it. Yeah. So, But um, the, the other thing that I... Um, that I really love and I think is the best in, in the series is the difficulty. So mm. Donkey Kong Country 1 is really easy and then it will throw just a couple of really tough levels right at the end at you. Uh, Donkey Kong Country 2 has spikes all throughout to me where it's like some like some of the bosses are really tough and you're like, oh, mm. well, that came out of nowhere. But the you know, as we talked about, like Donkey Kong Country 2, we consider as one of the best platform games of all time. So it's just in when we're talking about this. So it's not me harping on Donkey Kong Country 2. It's just like in a comparison sense. Whereas I felt yeah, and you're just giving an honest perspective. Yeah, saying, and then know, right so. at the end they throw it. There's a massive spike in difficulty. Whereas I felt DKC2, DKC2 or... with Donkey Kong Country okay. 3. To me, it's just really balanced, and it ha- it has a a much gentler curve and with the exception there's a couple levels that you'll get stuck on but 
they don't feel like, oh, well, that came out of nowhere, like super difficult levels for me. Now, I'm very familiar with this game. I haven't played it in a while, but I used to, I, I probably completed this game like 30 times back in the day because I used to mm. like try to speed run it in my own kid swinny way. I think I ended up beating it like two hours once or something, right? Pretty decent. Um, oh, actually, I think I got it under two hours. I think speed, the actual speed runners, people know what they're doing. It's like 46 minutes for any percentage mm. stuff. But, um, so I'm very familiar with the mechanics and stuff, but to me, there's nothing like that. It's just really nice and smooth. So I don't know how you felt though. That's that's yeah, so, where it's going to be interesting. You know, and difficulty is a funny thing because sometimes games can be difficult because they just don't play well. And personally, I feel like that's where it was with DKC one, where some of it I just found really hard to do, just because a the game would be really cheap. And there'd be things you just couldn't oh, see. Yeah. And you could, Horrible you almost couldn't react to. Like, even if you had really good reaction, I don't really think you could react to because you kind of needed to already jumped before you saw what the thing had happened, right? And it was also really cheap with the way that they placed the bananas, where it was like kind of leading you down the garden path, where it's like you shouldn't be going that way and it's kind of screwed you. Good thing is, like, with DKC 2 and 3, I feel like most of that stuff has been eliminated. Uh, I definitely think that DKC2 was harder overall. And oh, I agree with your sentiment that this game was smoother as well. So it did get more difficult later. It was a lot easier earlier. I just felt that DKC2 was harder. There was like harder stages, which I don't mind, but I never felt as much that there was a few levels in this where it was kind of a bit janky or... Any specific got really f- ones that you remember or at least like the concepts? It was like the like it was all the stuff in the last world. So I think like one of them was the toboggan one that you mentioned as well. Yeah. I'm just going to bring up the level list. There is one specific just, level which is a low light of mine, um, which is I think easily the hardest level in the game, which is lightning lookout. So that's a, oh, I, I, is that the one where the lightning comes down? Yeah. So the reason why I think that it's because there's. this game introduces new mechanics that are only seen for one level throughout the whole game. So that's not a new thing, but. This is such a specific mechanic that is so punishing that, and it's almost, it's, I don't know if it's random or if it's obviously based on your like XY position in the level and everything, but it just feels really unfair. Um, and I'm, I'm so used to that level now that it's like, okay, I know you jump across, then you jump back and then you jump back again. Like when you're going across barrels, for yeah. instance, but I think that I could see that level being um, frustrating for a lot of people. Yeah, that one wasn't too bad. I think it was only like a couple of times I tried it. And again, like a lot of these things could just be your play style. Like yeah. I could imagine that the last level poisonous pipeline, the one where it reverses your controls and the poison all the way through. I love that level. <laughs> could be like really difficult for some people. But I think I got through it without dying. And I think that's just a like it either clicks or doesn't click yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was like with me. Like the one that I got so annoyed, I was like going to toss my controller was probably not too hard of a level, really, was the coin dozers. Ah, uh, yes, yes, which is, yes, yes. You know, the DK, uh, you know, coin guys, it was those type of guys, but they, they didn't, obviously weren't protecting DK coins. And the, uh, it was just so janky to me. And I, Yeah, I, I agree, it, I agree, it, I agree. It's kind of maybe a little bit unfair saying it's janky because it's kind of like it is the intention of the mechanic. But what would happen is they would, like, have these... Uh, like garbage bins that they would be holding onto. And if you're like 
you have to be right over the top of them to hold it above. And if you're like to the left or right of them, they would just push you off the platforms. But what I didn't like about it was there was almost like no way to recover from it when they started whacking you. It's really it rough. Felt like so cheap and like really clunky. Like that's a level where Dixie was just like, okay, I'm going to use Dixie for this whole time. So you can come down slower on top of yes. them to make sure that yes. they've got it exactly up. Yeah. I really like the concept of that level, but it's almost like I wish they would have done that, but put less pitfalls so that it's like, okay, they knocked me down, but it doesn't mean instant death. Because yeah. because unlike other levels where you'll get hit and you still have a chance because you've got another character, this is like you got two characters or or not, doesn't matter. You're straight in the pit most of the time. So Yeah. So that really, really annoyed me. Like that level and I think it is because I was trying to play it with Kitty Kong all the way through. Like, and as I said, I always started the levels with Kitty Kong because I also felt like it was a bit more of a challenge to do that. And then by the end of it, I was getting really annoyed and I'm like, you know what, stuff, I'm just going to cheese this and, you know, beat Dixie Kong and hover over them. And it's just, it became a really boring level because of that. Because what you'd have to do, for me anyway, the strat was, you know, as soon as you land on the platform, try to jump up straight away and then hover so they come right underneath you. And if you do that, it's kind of like safe, like... It's kind of like actually hard to die at that point. So it's just like, it was boring to me. I guess like we're talking about levels. So I'll just talk about, so my standout levels, um, it's weird. Some of these might not be for everyone, but I love the Riverside race level. And so that's where you're racing against a timer. Um, and if you beat the timer on a certain oh, yeah. amount of time, it then unlocks a secret in the overworld. And we'll get to those in a second. But Yeah, that was cool. I like that. I, I played that a couple of times to get a good time on that. But that level is really cool because that's where using the water skipping is really, really neat to get all the secrets in it. Because um, oh, yeah, it's, no, it's built that, around yeah. that. Um, I love the demolition drain pipe level. So to me, that's their best like minecart style level. But instead, you've got... I guess it's like a it's it is like a toboggan or a sled, but you can hook onto the roof onto a, a rail as well as fall on the rail yeah. on the bottom. And I also really like the idea of moving between them. And I that level it was also great because I wasn't playing it on in the Donkey Kong Land three version because that level's so tough. All those levels were so <laughs> tough in Donkey Kong Land three because just imagine playing that on Game Boy. Um, yeah. It's pretty rough even on the SNES, to be frank. Yeah, um, I really love the Ripsaw Rage level. So um, that's where you've got the giants. And, and this this is it's a stressful level, but you've got a giant saw going up the tree and you're within the tree trunks. And I just love I just love the concept of it. Um, you know, it's, it's a way to do an auto-scroll that also gives you a sense of like, I need to rush ahead, otherwise the, the saw's going to reach me before I can jump up the branches. Um, another level I love just because the concept's so cool is Crackshot Croc. So that's where it's you've got fourth wall. It's in the factory levels, and you've got the fourth wall breaking sniper that's aiming on the screen. Oh yeah, and yeah, you're yeah, going through cool. most of the level was the spider. So combining the cool spider mechanics with this this sniper, and then there's a bonus level that gives you control of the sniper, which is just like that's the only time in the game it does it, and it's just like just to do that for a bonus level is really really neat. Um, I love any of the cliff levels are my favorites um, because they're just like super fast play, paced platforming. As I said, I love the controls when you're hanging on the ropes, like the horizontal ropes. And those games, those levels are all about those ropes. Um, and probably the last one, because I've mentioned a lot, is um, <laughs> Fish Food Frenzy. That's where you've got uh, a, 
fish. So that was going to be my pick that I was going to yeah. say. So, but... so you've got a fish tailing you and you need to feed it um, certain enemies, but not other certain enemies. Otherwise, it'll get pissed off and attack you. It's such a cool concept. Great gimmick. So, and you know, that's, that's the one thing I do want to say, and I'll, I'll reserve one thing that I want to say, but I'll link it back to this, that like when we get to bosses, but the levels and this level, it has a lot of fun mechanics, a very Nintendo thing of here's a cool mechanic and you'll never see it again. Right. And it was like this level. And I tried to, as much as possible, I must, I mean, I must admit, I may have only looked up one or two things in this whole game, but I tried to keep it to the authentic, what we were doing in the 90s. You didn't really know. You couldn't just Google something really quickly to find it, mm. right? So, you know, playing this level, I didn't get the mechanic at the start. I was like, what the hell's going on? Like, how, do I have to outrace this? So I was trying to go as fast as I could. It wasn't working. And then I'm like, I look at the title because they, they are pretty good with this kind of stuff, rare. And my fish food frenzy, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I tried to figure out a way to, <laughs> what's going on here? And then I saw it eat one of them. I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. And it's like, yeah, you got to feed it the right type of food by getting close to certain enemies, but not And others. there's only two types of enemies, really. Like, so yeah. once you understand that mechanics, like, okay, don't make it, sp- prevent it from eating the spiky ones. It can eat the, like, other fish, you know. Yeah, and I, I really love that. Like, I, I love that level. Once I figured that out, I was like, oh, that's that's cool, like, how they've done that. And I kind of echo your sentiment that the auto-scroller, they've done that really, really well in this game. Like, they're like, how can you do a new spin on these auto-scrollers? And they've done it through all these mechanisms where, you know, I look back and think of a, about it from a game development point of view, but as a player, you just you're just playing it and it feels very authentic mm. in the game world itself and very cool. And even that ripsaw level, like they, you'll have a case where you, you hit an invincibility barrel and suddenly you can go on the saw and it becomes part of the bonus areas and things. It's just really, mm. really neat. Um, and as I said, like the low lights to me, yeah, like that tear away toboggan level because of the janky hitbox and that lightning lookout. They're probably, and this, it's hard for me to find stuff I don't like in this game. Um, one thing I will say is that the first, the first world and the first part of the game definitely isn't as strong as Donkey Kong Country 2. Um, like, the early levels just aren't as fun and interesting, but to me, it really picks mm. up. And that's where the middle part of Donkey Kong Country 2, for me, when you're in, like, the lava areas and stuff, is where, like, where I'm least interested when I'm playing that game. Whereas this game, after that first part, I'm, like, I'm just super into it. And it's, it's more, it's non-linear in the sense that there's couple of points where you can act, play different worlds simultaneously like choose which ones you want to do so yeah so like for me i had only ever really played through the first world of this game ever uh over the course of the last you know 20 years since it's been out and i totally agree with that idea that this game kind of does itself a little bit of a disservice by how it starts hmm. because if i'd sort of known the mid game late game i definitely would have played through this but I'd only really played through the start and I'm like, eh, it's kind of a bit flat. Like flat to me probably represents it best. It's just kind of like, it's not terrible, but it's just like, yeah, yeah. it's, it's it nothing look, exceptional. It looks nice, but I mean, it's really easy, like as you'd expect, but it's at least yeah. with Donkey Kong Country 1, the first levels were a bit flat, but they were cool and they had great music. Like, was, we'll get to the music. Ever saw something yeah. like that as well. And we'll get to like, the music as well, thing, but right? like the settings do matter and... I do like the like, um, it's like a saw, like a woodmill setting. I like the look of it, but it's not the most like engaging thing. And to me, 
they really pick up on that stuff later and just start mm. throwing really cool stuff at you. So, yeah, but just and then the overworld, yeah, which, like to me was the biggest standout feature of oh, this game this... compared to DKC two. So, for anyone that's never played Donkey Kong Country three but played the other games, those games you essentially just move between set paths between the levels. Um, and it's, mm. there's a couple of times in in the games where you can choose one or the other. Usually, it's you can choose like a bonus swanky's games or something but in this game you have you know you still move between paths in some areas but when you're in the overworld area before you go into each world you're riding around on jet skis you're going on a hovercraft you're opening secret caves and like there's i can't think like very few games had done anything like this when this happened mm. or at least on you know on that generation so when you start hitting playstation 64 then that stuff starts happening a lot more but it's and you've got a tiny DK sprite or sorry a tiny uh, like Dixie sprite or whatever and it's kind of similar to Chrono yeah, Trigger. DK Dixie Kong. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of like um, almost like Chrono Trigger a bit. How you got this tiny sprite and a nice cool overworld. But it's even more than that. Like, and I think you're right. It, it, you know, this is going to be stretching the point way too far. But it was almost like a pseudo open world once you got past a certain bit. Yeah. Because I actually played through a later world from a, you know, how they numbered them. And I didn't realize that. And I thought I was further in the game. And then when I was going through, I'm like, what the hell? Like, I feel like I'm, I haven't even got up to world five or six or whatever it was. And then, yeah, I realized that you could kind of pick which world you wanted to go to at some point. So. Yeah. And just there's so many secrets, you know, I won't, mm. I won't get into it because the game just got re-released and internal switch online. So there's a lot of people that are playing for the first time. But just like Donkey Kong Country 2, there's secret, you know, secret levels. There's, but in this game, there's, you know, there's banana birds to collect. There's like hidden caves that have like music mini games that would then tie into that. There's, there's, and um, this is not my, definitely not my favorite thing in the game or anything by far, but there's trading items between the different NPCs, which are mm. these bears. Um, it's, it's pretty straightforward, but, you know, unless you know what to do, it can, it can be a bit of a running around. So once you know who needs what item, then it's fine. But it'd be like, oh, I got this. I need to go back to remember which random bear had asked for this mirror, for instance. Um, but it does lead to some cool stuff. Um, and the actual bonus levels in the game, you know, when you hit the bonus barrels within the levels themselves, um, they're probably my favorite in the series as well, specifically the when you have to collect the green banana that will cycle from different positions around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and a number, Donkey Kong Country 2 had a lot of great bonus levels as well. Um, I just think that mechanic um, was just, just my favorite. Um, and things like even the snowball fights, like you have to fight a boss like that, um, but there's also mini games where you're throwing at a target. Um, just feels, once you get used to controls, just feels nice and smooth. But one thing I do prefer um, the Donkey Kong Country 2 um, over this one is how they handle the DK coins. So it gets better, but in the first probably half of the game, to get the DK coin in each level, you have to find the, I guess, the coin guard, the, the guy that's yeah. got the DK coin on his, on his as a shield, and you have to hit him from behind with a, generally like a metal barrel. And it's neat, and I see what they're going for, but... It definitely didn't feel as special to randomly just see him there as opposed to finding the secret in Donkey Kong Country 2 where you're like, oh man, I found this. Cool. This is where the DK coin was. You generally don't see it. You know, in this one, it's like, oh, yeah, now correct. I need to go hunt down the, where the barrel is. They do some cool stuff with it, but a lot of it's just like, oh okay, God, I'll just walk right, grab the barrel and go left and hit it against the wall, you know. 
Yeah, I kind of, I, I almost go further than what you're saying. Like, because I, I didn't do as much of a completion of this game as I did in DKC2. And with this game, I felt it was almost like that part of it. So I think overall, the secrets, the overworld, the whole package to me is better than DKC2 from a secrets perspective and sort of, you know, new game plus quote unquote type of thing. But the DK coins felt really dialed in almost. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, not dialed in. Um, kind of phoned in. Hmm. You know, it was a bit like, oh, okay, really? Like, it felt like half the time it was just right at the end. And you looked at it and it was like, oh, okay, yeah. I've got to go back and grab a barrel to be able to get that. It just kind of felt boring, I- like, compared to DKC2 where you go, you might go off the beaten track a little bit and then you see the DK coin guy and you're like, ah, cool, I found where he is. I think I know, I, I, th- I have a hunch why they ch- why they made it a bit more obvious. Mm. It's because the thing that it leads to, which I won't spoil, is is much cooler, I think, than Donkey Kong Country 2. So I think they wanted more people to, to see to that. It, yeah. Um, you do need to access it's it's weird it's like a domino effect you do need to access the secret areas which require something else to be able to get all the dk mm. coins because you have to get them from every level but um <laughs> still i think that they really wanted people to see what this leads to because it leads to some really crazy stuff so mm. um yeah i just i think that's why but 100 percent like the dk coin like that was one of the most brilliant ideas that they added in number two was these dk coins that made it feel awesome when you found it and some yeah. some of those are really tough to find um but yeah the overworld is is great it's it's not perfect it's a little janky to try and sometimes you know get your little sprite onto the right thing to to get off the mm. vehicle but overall i mean for this was super nintendo you know games didn't do this oh, stuff so crazy um, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to bosses, so I I actually really really love the the bosses in this game, but more from a mechanical standpoint. So, with the exception of one boss, um, I just I I just like the way these ones play out. But I'm not as much of a fan of the boss designs themselves. Um, there are a couple bosses, or at least one boss. Like, I think it's the sword boss in number two. I forget its name. Uh, that I really didn't like the look of. But there's a couple in this one that as well. It's like, mm, but I like the way they play. The one that I've never been a fan of um, because it's just it's awkward is the chaos fight. So that's when you got the robot. Do you need to jump on these like spinning uh, platforms that come out of it and then yeah. you hit it on the head? Um, I'm again like it's been a while since I played, but I'm was so used to playing that fight that it's. But I remember back in the day, I was like, oh man, half the time you like bounce off the top. And it just feels like a bit of a drag if you keep missing the platforms to to get up to hit him. So yeah, that one was really annoying because you know you do it a few times and you have to realize you can't get too close yeah. to the actual boss, and they or else it would just bounce you back. And it's a bit like kind of why, like I didn't really understand why they built it that What's way because fru- that was a conscious choice. What's frustrating because they essentially give you three chances, or they. You think you got three chances to jump on the platform, but the second time it knocks you out for punching gloves, so you get knocked off. And the third time, by the time you get up to the top, his pro- head's probably retracted back into the robot. So it's like you, yeah, correct. you pretty much got yeah. to do it the first time, and by that you've got to by that if you miss it, then you just got to go through the cycle again. You know? Yeah, it, it's really annoying. Like the bosses in this, it's really hard for me to judge it because I think the boss fights. 
it's I, I actually find it really hard to judge. The boss fights overall in this kind of feel like they should be better, but the designs of them are so weird and mm. not fitting the game to a point where it felt like they'd outsourced half the bosses <laughs> and just gave someone a rough idea of what they were and what they were going to look like. I do like the waterfall boss. That's probably my favorite. Um, oh, it looks horrible, though. It doesn't look like a donkey. It doesn't look like it fits the game. It's, like, really odd. No, but no, I'm talking more like I like the... Because I love the, the fight. I like the fight, but I also love. Yeah, I like the fight. I well. love the look of the waterfall levels in general. So the fact that they made a boss that's half outside the waterfall, I actually really like that. But the just in general, like the thing as well is that this the K rule fight is the easily the weakest of the series, um, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's crap. But the version, the other version you can play, which I won't spoil, is way better. Ah, um, oh, interesting. Yeah. I wish I, yeah, maybe I'll get a save state or something. <laughs> yeah. So, or point. you can just watch a, a clip of it. Like, there's a lot more to do. Um, ah, okay. But cool. it's, yeah, it's like the, especially the first phase of it is just like, oh, like it, it feels like you know what to do, but you don't know exactly what the game's wanting you to, like, how to execute it. It's like, well, I've got to hit him, but it's just really yeah, awkward. No. So, and, yeah, and, and also I think maybe it's a bit of a reaction because I, I do think Donkey Kong Country 2, K. Rule and that is too difficult compared to the rest of the game and how the game played out. I know that you beat it on like your second go, but you're a legend. <laughs> I did beat um, this one on my first go, that's for sure. Yeah, I just felt like it was a bit too difficult for compared to the rest of the game, Donkey Kong Country 2, whereas this felt too easy. Too easy once you figured out that first phase. Like that's the annoying part to me. Yeah. It's like... Oh, okay, so you can just duck here. It's, oh, okay, well, then yeah, that changes yeah. everything, you know. Um, I find that boss is really hard to judge. Like, you know, Bleak's house, right? I didn't realize until way late into playing that, that the bloody little dot on the left-hand side, which they've removed in the Game Boy Advance version, you have to press, like, up and down to set the distance of when, like, to throw uh, the okay. snowball. <laughs> yeah. And, I, like, so what I was... Th- what Because... Wait, they, honest, they removed actually, that in the Game Boy Advance, so you don't even know. Yeah, which I think... No, which I think makes sense, because the problem is the game, it's actually poor design. And, you know, the more I, like, get into game dev stuff, you can kind of see the problems and pitfalls. But how are you supposed to know which... which you Basically, if anyone doesn't know, there's two lanes. There's, like, a front lane and a back lane, and it's you're throwing snowballs. How you... Yeah. Without... Do they change the sprite at all so you can tell which one you've currently targeted? No, but it, there's only ever one. So you're only ever really targeting one, right? No, you can swap. No, you swap between the two lanes. It will. Yeah, correct. But I'm saying as the character, you're only trying to attack the boss. Yeah, but you so, you could be targeted the top row while the boss is on the bottom row. Yeah, sure. So you need, to, you need to know which one you're currently targeting. You're going like way in the weeds compared to like, it's confusing to people. Because what was happening to me was I was pressing up and hitting it, right? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was pressing up and pressing the button to shoot, which was working, sort of, but it felt very clunky. I was like, what's going on here? It's like, sometimes I'm not throwing all the way up, right? And then you'd go down to the bottom lane and I'd press down and and shoot it. And this is what I'm saying from a mechanic perspective is poor design because that sort of does work. But really what the game is doing is I'm pressing down and then it's switching to the down lane, but I've already thrown it up high. Because yeah. it doesn't work simultaneously. I'm not. I'm not defending like that. I'm just trying to understand why removing this the 
indicator to tell which one you're targeting makes it better. To me, that makes it worse. Well, it would because what was happening for me is I was always missing him the first go if he'd switch lanes. Which also by by the other way, you could say that what the game should have done is if I press down and attack at the same time, it should just automatically switch to the down. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Which it didn't do. It didn't do. So I would like waste a hit, and often the first hit you need to get that one because it's before he starts throwing. Yeah. So I actually got so annoyed with that fight, and then I realized, oh, that stupid little small indicator, which is not even very prominent. <laughs> like, you know, I need to like flip that before shooting. I'm like, ugh, that's kind of. And that's fair enough. That's my favorite boss fight in the game. So. Well, and I liked it after that point, but. The other thing is he doesn't look like he belongs in the game and it's my overarching thing with these bosses. Half of them feel like some third party put them together yeah. from like Killer Instinct or Claymation or something Yeah, he does like look that. like a clay, clay fighter because there is a snowman in clay fighter as well. So. <laughs> yeah, he looks really yeah. like it. But um, So I didn't like the design, but I like the boss fights more than DKC2, oh, but DKC2, all the bosses look like they belong in that world. Except the sword to me. The sword is... Weird, no, but... for me it does, but I yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, I think what they've done with the animal buddies, so there's less of them in number two, but I think it's a nice selection. Um, so you've got the spider coming back, which is great. I'm glad they, you know, obviously brought that back because it's the coolest one. Um, but they introduced the elephant, Ellie, which I think is really cool mechanics. Sometimes a little awkward to use, but and they don't really tell you as well. So Ellie can mm. suck in objects and then spit them back out. So whether or not it's water, using the waterfall to get water or, you know, if you're on a barrel on top of water, but also to suck in a barrel and shoot it into the water to create a platform. But what they don't really tell you is, um, like some of the an- other animal buddies, you can change the trajectory of what you're throwing. So there's times when you're like, Wait, what do I do here? But you've got to throw, hold up to throw the barrel so it goes more of an arc to land closer to you. Which once you understand, mm. it's fine, but the game doesn't really tell you. It just says, hold L and press R. You know, it doesn't kind of tell you. And there's no there's no hint boxes in the game or anything. So I don't know how they yeah. would have shown it to you. But it's Maybe it was in the manual. Possibly in the manual, yeah. Mm. Um, but once you know that, it's fine. Um, and so overall, I do like it. But honestly, my favorite animal buddy is the parry, the parallel bird that they added. So is it the one that doesn't shoot? Or? No. So this is the bird that you you unlock, and it's a tiny bird that hovers above you. Oh yeah, yeah. I just yeah. love this concept. So it's a, it's it's called Parry the Parallel Bird because it follows your movements, and it's always a certain height. And what you've got to do is it's not helping you in technically, but what if you get past a certain area and you still got the bird with you? And then you get to the end, it will give you something. And that could be a bonus barrel. It could be the um, steel barrel that you need to get the DK coin and things. Or it could just be Mm. a free life or something like that. But that's just such a cool concept that I don't think is... Like, what another game has done that? Just where they add this little cool challenge that is optional that means that when you get past, you've got to also protect this thing that's hovering above you. I just love that idea. I'm not sure if it's a good or a bad thing. I think overall the Animal Buddies felt a little bit weaker in this game. Maybe that's a good thing. They were probably almost a bit OP in DKC2. The frog. I felt the like frog it. was definitely like, okay, I can just jump super high and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. And just like the rhino, there's just like a lot of the animal buddies. I felt like the parrot in that one almost always was able to shoot, whereas in this one, so a lot of times you couldn't shoot anything. 
So yeah, I felt like it's probably more well balanced, but I I kind of like that having that overpowered animal body sometimes because yeah. it just made it easier for me. And just to um, to quickly try to just speed some of this up. So graphically, look, this game other than some inconsistencies with the artwork boss and stuff, like looks great. I think it's yeah. I love I do love the use of giant sprites as well. Um, some of the lighting effects, like in the dark underwater level when you light it up, looks great. Um, I did have a problem, though, with the Nintendo Switch Online version, and I swear this did not happen, or at least this map uh, in the SNES version. I had so much slowdown in certain areas. Yeah, I had that as well. That, I was wondering, I was going to ask you because I, I never that, played this That game. did not happen, like, to that extent in the SNES. Interesting. Like, because to significant sprite slowdown, that's like, what the hell is going on here? Um, it was chugging at yeah. some points for me. Um, I do yeah. love a lot of stage settings, like the trees, the waterfalls, and the cliffs. You know, there's some areas that are a bit like, eh, okay. Um, I do like the factory and stuff. Um, so, yeah, graphically, it's very comparable, but Donkey Kong Country 2 did have a really cool, consistent theme. But as I've, I said back in that, um, when we talked about that, the middle part of that game feels a bit meh to me in the swamp and the fire areas, but everything else is fantastic. So it's it's kind of like they've both got their ups and downs, I think. Yeah, for me, like, they look as good as one another. Mm. Like the, They look better than DKC1, but it's kind of a bit marginal, to be perfectly blunt. DKC1 was just so amazing in terms yeah, of how yeah. it looked at the time. But for this, it was a lot brighter, a lot happier, a lot, you know, tonally sort of you know, friendlier, you know, is kind of one way to put it. But I do like the darker tone of DKC2. It was kind of an interesting thing for a Nintendo game. And I think just stylistically that whole game fits together a lot better yeah, than yeah, this does. game does. Because yeah. this game, there are parts of it where I feel like, especially with the bosses, it just felt like took me out of the game a little bit where it just didn't look like it belonged. It looked very just non-consistent from an art perspective. But um, again, like this game looks insane for when it came out. Like it kind of still, I, I don't know, maybe there's enough things to say, but it kind of looks still better than this, any 64 game that came out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, which is a weird thing, right? But yeah, it's a kind of the pinnacle of 2D games and from an art perspective. Look, and the soundtrack is generally, I think, brilliant. All these games are brilliant soundtracks. Um, it is not as good as the first two. Um, it's the weakest by far for me by far I, look i wouldn't say by far overall but when you talk mm. about the standout tracks from the first two like if you take those big standout tracks then yes but if you talk about as i guess the overall soundtrack i'm i i wouldn't think it's by far but there's no sticker brush symphony you know there's no nothing of that level by by any means but the thing that most annoyed me is the bear music so every you go into these huts with the bears so often, um, and it always starts with this jangle like and it's like it's just every time you hear it, and you only hear sometimes like the first five ten seconds, and it's mm. like oh god, All right back into this bear hut again to hear that bloody music. So it's it's easily the weakest, um, but there were some yeah. stuff like the rock face rumble track and nuts and bolts tracks are great. Um, I'm also I think as I said like I have a lot more um, nostalgia for those. Mm. for that music because i played it so much back in the day but there is nothing to the level of the standout tracks of the first two yeah and, and don't get me wrong i don't think it's a bad soundtrack it's a very very good soundtrack it just like you know dkc one and two to me are like 10 out of 10 soundtracks this is like a nine yeah you know? so it's not yeah. bad it's just there's nothing exceptional with this game's soundtrack whereas 
legitimately DKC one and two had tracks on there where I just think they're just actually good. It's just good music, like parking video games and everything. Like yeah, that. DKC two also had a lot more great environmental usage in the soundtrack, mm. where it had like crickets chirping in the swamp soundtrack and the cool, like when you're in the hull of the the pirate ship and it's it's you know it's flooded with water, you'd hear it as if it sounds like you're underwater and things. So really, really neat. But with this mm. one, it's like, it, it's just really, really great tracks, but nothing like that, you know? Yeah. And just overall thoughts on the series, like the trilogy. So we will cover uh, the Wii and the Wii U games. Um, we, we agreed on that ages ago. So we'll, we'll figure out a time that makes sense to do those games. But yeah, where, where do you rank this game amongst the trilogy on the SNES? So just... First of all, it's been great to replay these games. Um, yeah, it's been awesome. I, I de- it's definitely reaffirmed exactly what I thought back in the day, which is interesting. <laughs> um, okay. There's, <laughs> I, there's part of me that's like, okay, if I replay through this game, which I haven't played probably in about 10 years, am I going to mm. start seeing more flaws in it than I did as a kid? And I didn't. It's, ex- it's, it, it it's like this is not me just being like oh I told you so the no I honestly <laughs> think this is the best game in the series overall mm. um, I know not everyone's going to think that um, it's not in every regard we talk about soundtrack DKC two graphics is very comparable it's kind of you know you wouldn't say it's way better or anything like that and the bosses and stuff but I like playing this one the most I feel mm. like I'm you know moving through the levels really nice I love just the flow of the game. I love the secrets and just there's so much to this game that that I just love and the as I said with Donkey Kong Country two, I love that game is amazing. It's just the middle part of that game always gets me down and sometimes I remember I used to stop playing there half the time, not half the time, but mm. like a lot of the time, um, and then don't get to see the great stuff that's at the end of number two. So whereas this just feels like such. It's such a weird game in a lot of ways because the 64 was already released. and Well, and you know, when you say that, it's funny because back in the day, things didn't globally release at the same time. So for us, this came out and was available in Australia and the Nintendo 64 wasn't. So it probably hit Australia harder than, say, in North America where mm. the 64 was already out. And this game wasn't. So this game came out after the 64 was released in in North America. But for us, it was a reverse. So in a weird way, I wonder, I'd love to be able to do like a mass survey (laughs) and see if people in Australia regard this game higher than Americans. Because I think overall, we pretty much have very similar opinions on games. Um, But yeah, because I do remember when this came out, it was like still kind of like at that threshold. Versus some games came out after the 64 well and truly was out and they almost never really registered any attention or interest because of that, right? Which is pretty common. Mm. But um, just going back to like the three, because I'll give my thoughts in a second, but do you do you have it kind of ranked as DKC1, DKC2, DKC3 and the gaps in between those? Like, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? So definitely rank them, but I mean, number two and three are very close. These, yeah. there's... A lot of this is just... I know everything's opinion and everything's personal preference, but I think it, the, it is really personal preference when it comes to these. Like, what what do you kind of appreciate more? Do you appreciate, you know, like the 
the music and the graphics and stuff, or do you appreciate more the, you know, like how it feels when you're playing through a level? And I know it's, again, all that stuff's very subjective, but it's, and so I definitely, number two and three is so close. Um, number one, I I, pre, I think I, I was about to say I appreciate. I enjoy that game more than you, definitely, but um, mm. there's a much bigger gap between the first one and number two, and number two and three are very close. Yeah, I mean, you have nostalgia for all the games, but I only really have nostalgia really for the second one. For me, you know, it really affirms Donkey Kong Country. It did a lot. Like, it was an amazing game when it hit, like the way it looked. It was crazy. But just as a game now, if you look back at it, I I feel like it's almost like a 7 out of 10 or something as a pure game. Given what it did and everything, you'd have to bump it up. But... I think it's just daylight between Donkey Kong Country 1 and 2 and 3. Hmm. And I think it's a bit harsh because, you know, everyone asks, you know, why is it Kitty Kong and all that kind of stuff? And kind of basically because Shigeru Miyamoto didn't like Donkey Kong Country. He thought it was a bad game. And effectively, with revoked the ability for Rare to use some of the characters is the implication. It's really interesting. What would have happened if if it was Donkey Kong instead of Kitty Kong, because do you reckon... Well, it should have been. It should have been. But do you think that, like, the game would be much more appreciated because of that? Because as in, because more, more people would have played it. But see, yeah, to me, it doesn't... But to me, it doesn't impact anything at all from a gameplay standpoint. So... No, I just think, just because it's a character, I think it's cooler that it would be Donkey Kong. Okay. And I think it's neat from a design perspective and... You know, just, you know, had the second one and then, you know, rescuing Diddy for the third. But I, I get what you're saying. It doesn't change anything mechanically about the game. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to, to think that because the game for Western audiences really well, even Japanese audiences, but yeah, Shigeru Miyamoto did not like that game. He really trashed that game when it came out. Um, for me, yeah, I never really played DKC3 much. I played the, the opening part of it, which even you said wasn't the strongest part of the game. And I was a bit like, eh, I know this when he loves this game, but I think he's just, you know, nostalgic for it. Or, you know, even at the time I was like, I think it's just because you don't love DKC2 as much or whatever it was, just stupid reasons. But having now played it, like to me, it, it really comes close to being as good as DKC2. But for me, as an overall package, and I'd like to think this is without nostalgia, I just think DKC2 thematically is a stronger game than DKC3, and just as an overall package is the superior game. But it is really close. And, you know, if it was like numeric, I'd say DKC2 is a clear 10 for me. This is like a debatable 10. This is like a 9 or a 10, which is massive for me, because I don't normally give games that. Whereas, yeah, like I said, Donkey Kong Country 1, I'd give that like a 7. Um and I actually think from my perspective, if you've never played any of these games, I actually recommend don't play Donkey Kong Country. Play Diddy Kong, Diddy, Diddy's Conquest, DKC2 and DKC3. And then if you want more, go back and play DKC1. Like, I think that that game is such that it might put people off the game altogether and not play through DKC2, which would be a real See, shame. I'd be, I'd say, what I'd do is I'd say, play the first world of Donkey Kong Country 1. And then and then move on if you want because the first world Donkey Kong Country one to me is really strong. It's and the music and that jungle mm. setting is really really cool. And just to see you know you, you know people would have seen probably video and and stuff before of it, but it would have been like man they did this on the SNES. 
you know, and then to see where they jump with it, then lift off and created these fantastic games, but off that essentially prototype, you know, in a lot of ways. So I think well, yeah, I think like, the experiencing I've... that first world would be great um, because Donkey Country, the biggest shortcomings of that game come later. Yeah, I think, you know, you just stumbled upon a point in my mind that to me, Donkey Kong Country 2 and 3 match the gameplay with the graphics. Like the graphics of number one is amazing, but I actually think the gameplay, level design, sound design of number two and three then match the graphics department and, and you know, become, you know, that 10 out of 10 style games for the second and the third one. I, I really slept on the third one, which was kind of crazy because I loved the second one so much that I never really played through the third I'd, one. So I'm really glad that we've actually done I'd this because rec- I never played through it before. I'd recommend uh, doing the secret levels because I think some of those are really, really cool. Um, like, I don't mm. remember them all, but I played through the first two of them. And I'm like, oh, man, I remember this level now. This is really, really neat. And just like the main levels, they there's completely new gimmicks that they haven't used in any other level in those secret areas. So it's, it's really yeah. wild. So. Yeah, it's a really cool series. If you have Nintendo Switch Online, you definitely should play these ones. As Swinney said, either play like through the first world of DKC1 or just skip to DKC2 and play through that. Like very, very cool games. If you like platformers, you have to play these games. They're just really, really cool games. All right, we've gone super, 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 super long. Worth it. Uh, we will come, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll come back and play the Wii and Wii U games. And it'd be really interesting to see how they stack up because I haven't played much more beyond the first world of those games. I, I can't, so I really can't see the face see cams. Is Mike falling asleep or is he? No, he's no, no, I'm still, I'm still <laughs> playing Monster went, Hunter went, Rise. He was playing Monster Hunter Rise. I was playing Monster Hunter Rise. God, I, I, I have, had no idea what the hell to even press. It's weird. <laughs> but you guys have sold me on on playing the... Play Donkey Kong Country 2, man. Try that. I was listening. Yeah. I listened into the whole thing, by the way. So it's yeah, tr- try pretty cool. I got to try it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll try it out. I'll try it out. All right. I'm conscious that we've gone long. So just for very long. the outro. So again, if you ever want to reach out to us, reach out to us on Big Wig Pod on Twitter or through the YouTube comments. Uh, if you do want to see the podcast grow, make sure you give us a like, subscribe, ring the bell, five stars, follow on Spotify, whatever you want to do. <laughs> Uh, and then just tell a friend about the podcast. And with that, bye bye. Just Thanks.